we're rolling. <clears throat> um, filming the style of hunting that like that you're filming, and that I've spent a lot of time filming, like bush stalking, deer, and then add the dog as well. It's so hard, dude. It's like not to, to talk myself up and say, oh, what I do, it, but it is. Not that it's hard, like what we were just saying, it's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a mission, dude. Holy shit. I've been thinking about just going in without any cameras mm. and just seeing how I go because I've had the worst luck lately. Yeah. Nothing's panning out. Oh, it'll screw you up, man. Like, <coughs> like, dude, the amount of deer that I have lost over the last few years through trying to film them and not just film it, not just have it like the GoPro's rolling on my head and you see the gun come up and boom and then me walking over to a dead deer, like getting cool shots of the dog doing its thing leading up to it and then mm. with my camera on the gun, you know, and zooming in, trying to have the GoPro rolling and the one on the gun and then zooming in on the deer and going from the dog up to the deer and then just getting the perfect series of events, the amount of deer I've lost, dude. Oh, yeah. It's just horrific. It's you find you you're spending a lot of time, like say, doing that, like trying to get all the action leading up to it as well, like on your gun cam and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. And then it just, I don't know, <coughs> it kind of takes your mind off what you're actually there to do. And then when the, the action starts happening, you find that oh, shit, that's right. I'm actually trying to shoot this dish, which isn't easy in the first <laughs> place. Yeah. yeah. A hundred percent. And then it's man. still on the back of your mind. Oh, is my camera rolling again? But yeah. yeah. So there's so many new different mechanisms that have to go and steps that you've got to go through versus just I'm looking for a deer and when I see it, I want to put a bullet in it. Yeah. It's there's 42 things that have yeah. to happen before it. But it's 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 awesome and like without complaining, like it's um it's a been an awesome challenge, but um. It's it ain't easy, man. It no. can drive you around the frickin' bend some days too. Yeah, and then trying to work out um, what works for you as well, like camera setup and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, um, it's been interesting. Even on the way out from this trip that I just got back from, I've got the because it's having said that, just said that that whole setup with the camera on top of my rifle and stuff. Yeah, is a frickin' mission, man. Like holy shit, you're being a cameraman and trying to hunt at the same time and um, and that's the camera you actually have to turn it on and zoom it in it's not just a GoPro on your head um, uh, so I got that um, shot cam yeah and I thought this might be a really good solution and it's definitely going to be cool and I've already done some test shots with it you know just shooting targets around home and seeing what it can do and stuff it's a whole new element it's going to be cool but um and I thought, man, I wonder if I can do away with that gun on top of the that camera on top of the gun and just use the shot cam more. Yeah. And I can't. I think it was what was it? How did I end up looking at it? I was I think I was on the gram, sussing out a couple of these marlin clips and that that I've got to bring up in this potty. And um, I saw one of the ones I've got like a video of me hunting with print at the top of my gram, like pinned up there. And I clicked on that, and it's just like a two-minute edit that I made or even a one-minute edit that I made, you know, eight months ago. Yeah. And most of the cool clips from that are from that camera on top of the gun. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's a good quality camera and you zoom in and it's it's epic. I was like, 
damn it, I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've just, you just got to keep grinding. I just got to keep doing it. Like, yeah. now that I don't even use my RX 100 anymore on the, for a gun cam, because mine started stuffing out. Eh? When I was telling you that that when it was starting to focus, it was making like a real lad like mm. bloody noise. And I put that down to shooting with the high velocities. The recall smoked it. Yeah. Because mm. mine, because yours is in like a um, like a gimbal type thing. Eh? Yeah, like it hasn't always out. been, but yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. yeah. mine's just hard, like just straight to the base of it. We normally um, screw in your tripod. Yeah. And I think that's just levering on it too much, eh? Dude, I am um, talking about like filming, just being a bitch and just going like, what am I even doing? Because um, that's a two thousand dollar camera, yeah, eh? you you well know because you brought one. Yeah, it's a two thousand dollar camera. Plus, actually, two two, I think, or something. I'm pretty sure they are now. Yeah, and they're not waterproof. They're not <laughs> no. dust proof and shock proof and all of that. Like you're just taking this two thousand two plus thousand dollar camera and just like doing. It's totally not meant to be doing. Putting it, it through one of the worst things that can probably go through. <laughs> and um, I first started using the HXV90. I think it's HXV, HV, it might be HV90. Like HXV. a similar style camera. Yeah. yeah, but it's a smaller sensor, but it's oh. got a grunty zoom because back in the day, the RX100 had bugger all zoom. It was only like three or four times zoom. Oh, yeah. But the 100's got a much better sensor. It gets a nice, more uh, cinematographic, cinema, cine, whatever that is. Cinematic. Cinematic, that's the word. <laughs> cinematic look. Um, much nicer lens and a much better sensor, um, and so that's what I use. Like in the blueprint, there's a couple of deer being shot with that camera on top, and you know, get a couple of zoom in shots and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then and but I had an RX one hundred two that I just used to get. It was, I just used it as a nice compact to get nice photos with, and a little bit of B roll footage here and there. Um and then uh, yeah, then that new RX one hundred come out with zoom. It's only what is it the equivalent of about ten times? No, I think it's eight. Eight, yeah, two hundred mil. Yeah, I haven't really delved into that much, but two hundred mil lens, I think, which I'm pretty sure it's about eight. eight yes, times. yep. So the equivalent of about eight. So, um, which is enough for getting good shots in the bush at that sort of bush hunting range. Um. And I'll, that's my second one, actually, because that next, I had the first one, but it didn't have a mic jack. It's mm, um, only the se- from the 7A it started with the mic jack, or 6? Can't remember. No, I think it's 7 eh? Yeah, sure. but I wanted to get that mic jack too and, and get yeah. the sound a little bit better. Because the sound is pretty horrid even on that 7. It is oh. without a, yeah, yeah. I've, I should show you actually, it's a, I've got a little energy mic, it's an external mic, but it's only tiny, it's just yeah. this little, it's, it's like, imagine if that, that yeah. little, had a plug off it, and that's all it was, yeah. and then it's got a little windsock that goes over it, yeah. so it gets heaps of sound, and it also kills the wind, Um, it's got that on it, but I think it was, nah, it might have been the one before that one, or it might be this new one. It was the very first time ever taking that camera in the bush, and because I never used to use the cage, the alley cage that goes around yeah. it, I don't know how the hell it happened, man. But I'm sort of it was getting dark, you know, and I'm sort of rushing, and I know like print keen, and I just like spooked a couple of deer on the way in, and I was like, I've got to get down the side and get to the spot, and all like on a mission, and I had the camera, and I'm like trying to clip it, and I've got this clip I use the Joby setups. And I'm like trying to force it into the clip, and my hand sort of slipped, and I just went, 
Dude, I ripped the whole like the whole bottom housing off the camera. <laughs> that was the very first time trying to mount it to my rifle in the book. I just ripped the whole bottom off my two thousand dollar camera. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just standing there looking at the inside of my camera. I was just like, All right, okay. Unclipped <laughs> it, packed it up, put it away, put the GoPro on my head and went hunting, you know. But that's just yeah. a classic example of stuff that just happens yeah. over and over and over trying to do this stuff, eh? Yeah. Um, and I, I just, it still went, and I just like filled it all up with super glue and just pushed it all up. And well, that's just, the one you've got now, isn't it? Pretty sure it is, yeah. Yeah, I maybe you showed that uh, to me last time I was here, I think. Yeah, it's either the one I'm using now, or the, it might be the one before that that didn't have the mic jack, but I think it's the one I'm using now. That you broke, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. just ripped the whole ass off it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and now it's in that cage. I actually just took it out of that cage because I was like, Sweet, I'm using the shot cam now. And then I yeah. did one trip with that, come back, looked at my clip on the ground, was like, no, nah, I need to use the... Oh, you looked at your shot cam stuff? No, nah, I looked no. at like stuff that I'd filmed previously <laughs> oh, yeah. with that RX100 with the zoom and yeah. stuff and just getting those when the dog's like five, six metres out in front. And because it's on the gun, it's always right there and I just leave it rolling quite often and yeah. just see the dog doing something cool and just pick it up and zoom in. And it's quite steady too, eh? Like you notice the difference to just holding it and trying to like zoom in because I've done that before as well, just trying to walk behind me because I don't use mine on the gun anymore. I've got a different one. So I'm like, oh, I want to get the better footage though of the RX100, so I'll just try and use that just handheld. And it's way more shaky than actually having it on the rifle because you've got a bigger platform to like hold on and keep it steady. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the gun's like a big boom, eh? That yeah. just keeps it real steady and, yeah. and with that, handle that i've got on top of my gun with the 100 on that and and the flip up screen so so i can just look it's there but i have the screen yeah, tilt, yeah. tilted up facing straight up yeah, so i can just look handy. down and it's down at the dot it's it's works so epic it's the biggest bitch yeah but but it, it works yeah. it gets good footage you yeah, know it does eh? it, it, but actually that's what <laughs> the shot and then i was like okay what i've actually got to do is have that and the shot cam yeah because the 100 doesn't get the shot because the minute you pull the trigger, poof, everything. Just goes blue, yeah. Yeah, which has a bit of a cool look in itself because it, it like, yeah, and you hear the shot and, like, it blurs out and then it's almost like a some sort of cool effect. But yeah. It comes back pretty fast, though, eh? Like, it's yeah. not even a second, is it? Wouldn't even be there. Um, pretty sure. No, nah, it's not, yeah. It's just, like, a real moment. But yeah. the shot cam films... It somehow films through that blast, yeah. um, so you actually get the 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 whole shot and the deer getting hurt and running off and everything. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I, I noticed I've seen some on the um, on the shotgun. I'm like, they've got a hell of a lot of recoil, but that thing just looked like it wasn't. You know, it looked like it was on a 22. Dude, the science or so. Yeah, like it wasn't jumping up or nothing. It was holding pretty well. The unreal man, and um, and it's a couple of times zoom or something, eh? Four. Four, but it, it's weird because it seems like more than that. Because I, yeah. oh, I just real yeah. maybe realize why it's a tight four zoom. It's sort of zoom is a little bit like what we're talking about. Where do you measure a barrel from? Like, yeah, it's it can mean you know, people have different ways, different um definitions of what zoom from yeah. what where are you starting from? You're starting from a fisheye or 24 mil. How big's a scene? It does, you know yeah. what I mean. Um, but uh, yeah, because I saw some of the duck shooting stuff, and like that looked like it was like the duck looked really big 
in the view that you could see. It is. Whether, it, it, whether they had just cropped in on that image further, I'm not too sure. Oh, yeah, that second one down is the one I think you showed me. Yeah, yeah, this moose getting whacked, eh? Um, yeah, they seem, yeah, I'll see these guys are in Finland. It's I a can't cool. believe he took this first shot, to be honest. Got some sound there. Yeah. The second. <laughs> He's just. <laughs> just through the trees, <laughs> eh? What's he shooting with a 30-30 or something? Don't know. But this thing just sacks, eh? Yeah. This is. Look at it just busting through the trees like it's that. bleeding out of the nose. Yep. He's over. It does the front flip here, oh, eh? Off. See, like the recoil on there. Yeah. Dude, hey, that. It stays on it pretty good. Yeah. That unreal. Um, and I ran a test with a GoPro, GoPro 10 and 4K, and I th and then I, I set it up um, on linear, which is the GoPro's slightly more yeah, zoomed yeah, in, yeah. and then 4K you're meant to be able to crop almost up to four times or something, because then I thought, oh, well, if the shot cam's only four times zoom, yeah. then can I, and it's not an incredible picture, you know, mm. Um, I wonder what if I just have a GoPro on my head. Oh, and I actually mounted a GoPro to the camera. Yeah. I, uh, to, sorry, to the gun. Mounted a GoPro to the gun, and um, put it in linear. Shot some targets, and then put it into Premiere Pro and tried cropping it in, and it was the the shot cam was a lot better. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they have got some, and I was reading like some of their marketing guff and that about you know how they've developed it and the whole thing to manage the shock and all of that and yeah. um, and their um, their zoom and everything and um, yeah, I can't find anything that gets what yeah. it can do, you know. And like that's obviously designed for it. Whereas like the RX 100 is obviously not, and that's why mine buggered out. So like, at least with that, you know it's going to put up with it as well. Like it's not going to stuff out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, so like yeah. I haven't chucked mine back on since then. I'm like, nah, I finally got it fixed. It took them like three attempts. I think I sent it back. Finally got it back. I'm like, oh, I'll just keep this for like B-roll and just. True, they fixed it for you. Yeah. That's good. It ended up. Oh, it, was, it was such a rigmarole trying to get it done, though. <laughs> I felt bad, man, because I was like, dude, RX, I use an RX100, and then you went and, like, <laughs> wrecked it. <laughs> and then I was like, actually, I think I was only using it subsonics with it, you know? No, I saw some some footage of you shooting high-powered with it. Yeah. And same thing, like, the that screen flicks out. That's what happened on mine, too. You can actually see it on my video oh, where, yeah. where it stuffs out. I shoot this deer once. It flicks out. I go up there to try and find it, and I end up shooting it two more times. Well, I missed the second time, and then I dropped it with the third one. But same thing, like that camera, that screen was just flicking out. And as soon as I went to, I sort of talked to the GoPro a little bit, and then went to go down and get it. And I turned that camera back on. It was like I could hear it, like down at my side. I was like, <laughs> How is that noise? Pulled it up, and I was like, Oh, it's the bloody camera. I was like, Oh no. Direct. <laughs> yeah. Have I got a video of actually shooting? Yeah. On your, I think on your seven mil eight. I think. Oh yeah. So that's going back. Yep. I'm yeah. Yeah, that is. That might have been the HXV ninety. Oh, could have been. Yeah, I wrecked did that, that. Did that have a? I killed that. That died eventually. Did they have the thing that flips yep. out though? Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe it is that one then. Yeah. Uh no, nah, it can't have been nah, because I, I. I think that. that 
I didn't. I never had a mount on a seven oh eight for for the big camera. Uh, you had that little tripod thing, I think, and it was like oh. <laughs> freaking duct tape or yeah, something around yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. I yep. think you shoot a stag in the comas. Yeah, that was front. way back, man. Uh, I think that's yep. yeah. I'm pretty sure yep. that's. I remember that. Yeah, but I remember seeing. It, I was like, oh hell, he gets away with it. And, like my camera hasn't put up mm. with it. Oh, my bad luck, I guess, but. Mm. So yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I'm just keeping that one in the pouch now and taking it easy on it. Um, we were talking about bloody uh, daylight savings changeover, <laughs> and on my hunt, and yesterday, well, day before yesterday, I was on my way in. I just got out last night. Um, and there's all these clearings in there and that, and and I wanted to get in and hunt all these clearings on dark. Yeah, and. Were saying like when I went fishing because your phone changes automatically, yeah. and then since daylight savings turnover, I've been running on my phone, and I use a watch quite a bit too, but I haven't used it. I hadn't used it like the few days leading up. Yeah. So my phone was on new time, but my watch and my truck wasn't. And I remember like being around home. Oh, and the clock at home was changed, so I was like watching the time, thinking, "Yeah, I'm pushing it a bit late. I'm gonna have to boost it. Like drive all the way straight there, just walk straight in and go straight. I should get to the clearings like right at, right on time." <clears throat> and I remember driving because the truck clock wasn't changed, and I remember driving, thinking, "Oh shit, I'm doing pretty good for time actually." <laughs> and I got an hour out. Yeah, and then I got all the way in there, and I was like, sort of watching. I wasn't watching the time that closely by then I was just like I'll just get in there as fast as I can and see what happens and I remember thinking the same thing looking at my watch shit I'm doing good on time sweet and then I got in there set up camp and I was like oh I'll have a feed and a coffee and like sort of chilled out for 20 minutes yeah I was like right better get going and um yeah I was an hour out and then I was like man it's because it was overcast and drizzly and that I was like man it's got dark like it's a Real, real gloomy evening, and it was about half an hour, forty minutes walk up to the clearings, and I was like, started walking. And I'm like, man, it's must be going to be a long twilight. Like, I was, it was weird. I, I like my, I couldn't register it. Yeah. And then I was walking, and I was thinking, it takes half an hour to get up there. I'm an hour away from dark, so I should get up there like right in that last half hour of light. And then I was like, it started getting darker and darker. And then it's like almost totally dark. And I'm just like, what the? I don't know. I was just, took me a while to like for it to all assimilate and work it out. And then then I clicked and I was just like, oh my God, you dick. And then as soon as I clicked, I was like, well, it's completely dark. And um, yeah, then I realized it's actually like 7.30, not 6.30. Yeah. I looked at my phone, held, it, held my phone next to my watch. I was like, just cracked up, man. <laughs> You dickhead. Pack, walk back to camp, into into the tent, into bed, and then I went up. And the annoying thing was, was the wind was perfect that evening yeah. when I was running late, screwed it up. And then in the morning, the wind was up my ass, headed all the way up there. Yeah. And fresh marks all over all the clearings, everything, but the wind was wrong. So, yeah. Um, and then I did it. Oh, I saw a deer on the way to camp the night before. Um, just do this. I always see something on this track. It's about an hour's walk up this up this. You're, it's all bush, um, but you're walking next to the river, just along this foot track. And um, I don't think I've ever. It's an hour, and I don't think I've ever walked it without spooking something. 
Is this where you shot one with print? Yeah. You filmed one there? I oh, could. Like his first or second year? Uh, nah. Nah. I've never seen some footage of you shooting one next to a creek. One of his... <laughs> Quite a young seeker. Oh, yeah. Nah, this is Reds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... No, nah, I know what you're meaning there, but no, nah, different spot. Yeah, this yeah. is re- this is Purioras. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, and I was cruising along. Miko's in front, and Miko was just getting keen, and then she was sort of like sh- like going looking over by the river, and there was like a windfall, and I went to walk around that, and and right as I come back onto the track, and Miko was behind me, I was just about to say like "good girl," she was basically indicating, yeah. but I reckon this deer had probably walked through, or another one had walked through, and she was sort of keying out to my left, and the deer was standing like right next to the track in front of me, and I was sort of like thinking, looking back, walking, and I just turned my head and went to take another step, and it took off from like. Seven meters away, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just blasted off, and then um, the next day went went and did all the clearings. Uh, epic spot, man. But um, did all these clearings, sign everywhere, and that. But the wind was just you know when the wind's just right up your ass, and it's like in a valley, so yeah, it's just yeah, blasting so you know, the yeah. um, blasted the whole spot, and then went bush stalking, and um, straight on to sign, and. Did a couple of hours, like, going real hard out, and then I was just let my mind wander for about 10 minutes sort of thing. I was coming over this brow, and my brain was just registering, like, is Miko still a bit of a dork? I'm actually, I've got to do some more work with her. Yeah. She's a bit of a dork when she gets close. She's not, instead of going into ninja, she's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, starts getting, and I, my, I was mind a mile away. <laughs> And thinking about what time I'm going to be back and the weather coming in or something. And I was just sort of coming over this brow, looking at the ground. And my brain was just half registering. Or at the same time as I come over the brow, like, Miko's getting keen. Like, that was half in the back of my mind. I was just sort of thinking about turning and looking at what she was up to as I come over this brow. And boof, two deer in the fern <laughs> right in front of me. Close. It was raining quite steady by then and I was just quietly coming so they just you know how the rain just cancels out the sound yeah yeah. and um, yeah the closest one was yeah probably five or seven meters away um and the closest one just blasted out of sight and the, and there was a yelling just and it sort of it just got a fright and did that like two meter blast stop looked at me looked at I'm guessing it was probably the hind it was probably a hind and a yearling yeah Looked at me, looked at the height, and I straight away gun up, and I was just getting it in the scope and just targeting down, and it took off, you know, like a second away from letting rip. But yeah, always cresting those little rises, eh? I always just take my time now, even if Meg's not indicating. Yeah, because just in case that wind's not quite there or whatever, mm. I always just take my time now going over. Mm. And we've had it quite a few times when she is indicating. That they are like right on those little spurs and stuff like that, and it's yeah, just as you're popping over through a noisy crown fern and shit like that, they they're onto you pretty fast. Yeah, and if they take off, you're kind of like just on that other side of that spur trying to come up, and as soon as they start running, you just can't see them anyway, and you don't want to just go charging forward to try and track them down, mm. so they get away pretty easy. 
they can be pretty selective about, like particularly if you're tracking, mm. um, you know, they'll stop just just before they go over a rise and they're sort of standing there, look like if you're, tr- if you're spooked them yeah, and you're tracking an animal up, they'll usually stop in a strategic spot and they're stopping where they've got a bit of a view behind them and right where they can take five steps and they're out of sight over the hill. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't, usually don't stop, if they know something's following them, they don't stop in a big wide open spot where they're kind of screwed yeah, yeah, if they're yeah. busted there, you know. They'll get in behind some bush eh, and stop there. Usually, every now and again, <laughs> they do real stupid stuff and I've seen even stags do that, but yeah, um, yeah it's hard case. Yesterday was a real classic. I filmed it too and had a little yarn about it. Um, just a classic, um, like smart deer bed spot. Like right, um, they all they often put beds. They often bed down, especially a stag or something with brains. Um, Spur, like center spurs, so ran, not a main ridge, that's the main drag for everyone to go yeah. up and down, but like a side spur or a center spur, center spur that doesn't go all the way to the main creek, drops into a shitty little creek, hardly anyone goes up and down it. Yeah. Um, and like if the spur rolls along like that, goes for ages, and then right where it drops off, like if you're climbing out of the creek, you're climbing up, 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 and most ridges and spurs, they'll climb up steep and then get to a spot where they... They bed like right on that point. Yeah. And usually, especially if it's this type of animal, usually with a whole bunch of shit behind them. So if you're coming down the spur, it's th- this particular bed was like the spur come along, there was a bunch of bullshit like tight bush, about 15 metres of big tall crown fern, and then the, the spur like stepped down about a metre out of the crown fern and there was just this nice flat this little flat little pad area right before it just dropped off and then it just dropped off steep all on all three sides so absolute bullshit no way you'd ever sneak up to it from behind and you can't see it from where you can get to quietly so you can't really sneak up on it from behind and from below you're climbing up steep slippery noisy shit if anything comes up any if something comes from above, the deer's got all like you know three sides that can escape straight down either side. And they're gone within an instant. Eh? Just got yeah, like you see that so often, yeah. man, um, all the time. And right like those spurs right before they drop over steep, yeah, so common. But just how how strategic animals are actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Last well, year, like I've. I haven't shot one for so long. I've been just spooked. Like, we've been seeing deer every single trip, without <laughs> a doubt. Like, I'm barely even going, like, 2Ks for my vehicle pretty much every hunt. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this uh, definitely this last one, Meg was ground tracking like it had been raining all night and sort of rain, yeah, raining that morning as well, actually, and kind of drizzling the whole time. But um, as soon as she was onto that ground scene, I was like, yeah, this thing's, like, these are pretty fresh. I didn't, yeah, like I said, I don't usually like following on ground scene. I definitely prefer that wind, but following on there, mean as bush, and I'm having to stop so often to try and like scour out because it's like that open. Cruising on there, and she just all of a sudden, like 90 degrees, heads straight towards this shit. And I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> and as soon as we get in there, she's like five meters in front of me, just slightly to my left, and it's like 
just thick, like watery, swampy type stuff. And like I hear this little bit of noise about 10 metres in front of her and she kind of like doing a little noise that she's started bloody doing now. Sort of jumps back towards me and I see just like commotion start happening through the trees. One of them actually walks like back towards me. I just hind call it or fawn call it and it stopped, faced away. And yeah, I let a subsonic go on the back of the neck but just couldn't, connected, found blood in that, but tracked for like 600 odd metres and just couldn't find the bloody thing, eh? Mm, but like we've found that with the last... I don't know, probably the last 10 that we've encountered maybe. They just always happen to be in just little tight, little shitty spots. They would just be cresting over. They've either like seen me coming or something and just happen like duck away below. You'll just hear them start running off and then look around behind you and they're just taken off into the thick shit and you just got no chance of getting a shot off in them at all. Mm. It's not like this perfect come over a little rise, you're looking up on the next little face and this yeah. deer's just like broadside, doesn't yeah, know what's yeah. happening. Like, yeah. I haven't seen that for so long. <laughs> You've hunted that block like reasonably consistently for a while now, uh, eh? Hard, yeah, yeah. I, it, dude, it, it is crazy how like if you get onto a block that hasn't had bugger or pressure, and the deer aren't used to being bush hunted, yeah, and then it gets a bit of pressure for a while. How much the animals change? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of it's like not even them being like strategically finding the little spots to, um, to like help them out sort of thing. Like I've had them step up right in front of me pretty much out of the <laughs> fern. Like I missed one oh, about three or four weeks ago, I think now. Just stood straight up. We're just coming around this. We come up this face. Wind was coming straight over the top, so I knew I'm like this thing will be either be like right on the top or just over the other side. And sure enough, sort of get up right up onto the spur, started sidling it just slightly. And I just happened to look over top of Meg and this yeah, spiker just stood up straight behind this fern, just looked straight at me, just up slowly with the gun, right on the front of its neck, and it just ran away. I was like, oh, what the hell happened there? I tracked it for like oh, three or 400 metres, no blood, no nothing. So I just lay down, put a shot into a punga tree, for like bang on, so I'm like, I must have just pulled the shot or something. Mm. You know, but I've missed like two or three. <laughs> yeah, subsonics? Yeah, right. Yeah. They're still different. The the Lehigh's do kill. I've shot, I've shot one in the neck. Well, I've put one down Head, in yeah. the neck, side on too. Like mm. I mortally wounded it, was going to die, but I just put it out of its misery. Mm. And yeah, that like you just hear the whack and just straight down. So that's why I was like, oh, these things obviously. Yeah, bone eight. Yeah, <clears> but I actually thought it was quite forward though, but mm. obviously one of those pedals must have gone off and hit it. But that's why I was thinking with that one front on, I was like, oh, this will be. Sweet, like straight on, just under the chin. Yeah. That'll be right, and even that last one that I wounded, straight in the back of the like, base of the skull pretty much. I thought this will just lights out this thing. but Should be, eh? I must have just pulled it just slightly and just missed that spine altogether. Yeah. yeah. Like the blood just started drying up and drying up and drying up. And like, yeah, 600 mm. metres on, I just couldn't find anything. Yeah, that's like, yeah, neck shots with subbies, you do have to be careful. Mm. Um, and I've done the odd neck shot with them and that and had them work, but it's got to be bang on, man, yeah. like bang on. Um, yeah, it's that's one thing you learn with subbies over time. Is, and those that's why those Lehigh's work so well in the engine room and the chest because they yeah. create so much, they cut so much, you yeah, know. Yeah. But And you get one in the engine room and it's just it's pretty game over. Yeah. Um, but the difference between 
a high velocity and the hydrostatic shock yeah, versus yeah, yeah. a sub like that hydro like that 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 speed yeah. is just brutal yeah, eh? the speed of a high velocity mm. Mm. if I had one of my what do I shoot 155 um, ELDMs as well for my high oh, velocity the ends that. are brutal if I had because that thing was only like 10 meters from me so that's yeah. why I was like oh this is going to be sweet but yeah, obviously not good enough. But yeah, if I had one of those, then definitely would have dropped it no matter what. Yeah, would have damn near blown its head off, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, the fo- the and it, and I have had it using subbies, um, and I've had times when I've gotten really confident with the Lehigh's. I still am, they're good, but mm. I've also I've had a couple, yeah, yeah. where it's like. Fuck, maybe know. I was maybe I was too confident because I've been pulling off yeah, some shots like that's what happens side on yeah and even ones that I've thought have been too far back but it's just ripped those deer eh? like that in the body body shots with yeah. them they are brutal yeah. because the other thing you got to remember about them is they don't necessarily go straight the way nah. they hit and break up and the neck's hard too so um, you know yeah. And those pedals aren't going to be heavy enough to break neck. Yeah, you know it's a, the neck's such a hard, strong bone, man. It's really hard, eh? Um, and then the solid base that's not necessarily going to go straight either, you know. Nah. So it's yeah, that can still not actually separate from one of the pedals either. That can still actually shoot yep. off with yep. one of them. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So that I can see that being a possibility of yeah. actually hitting center on the neck. But everything goes like that and around it, you know. But you think like that's why I thought being at the back of it, I would have been quite safe because it's not that far. Nah, it's pretty much straight on the bone. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I thought that's pretty close. So I must have just duffed the shot. Mm. A little bit too much pressure on me. It's a hard one, and um, that's why, yeah, all bullshit aside. Like I remember, especially doing the goat work and that, and doing and using triple twos and two two threes, and then. If you're gonna start shooting the odd deer as well, it was like um, don't mess around with head and neck shots. Like chest shots are so even with a triple two, you hear people say, "Oh, triple twos are right with head and neck shots." It's almost the opposite, man. It's like the lighter the caliber gets, the more you should just go for a good chest shot. Mm. Um, but then in the bush, and it's probably why taking the shots is you, often head or neck's all you've got. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And that, that is a big part of the reason why I changed it up a little bit and I've gone to the mild high-velocity load. Yeah. Yeah, with the SST, because the SST is relatively soft. And then I'm using that fast burning powder, which is quieter, and the mild load. It's got bugger or recall, so that's probably easier on the camera too. Yeah, yeah. But, man, they, uh, uh, it's been surprising me how vicious... The SST is even just at two four, yeah, two four two five. That real mild high velocity load, yeah, um, yeah. Have you tried it any slower than that? Sure, I reckon it would open under two. Eh? Uh, they work fairly well at down to about two. Yeah, yeah, but they start to get. I I I don't know. I I used to. For a while, I was using the 150 grain SST and a 308, and that was my main load. Yeah, and I was shooting stuff out to. Well, I was I had a VX6 and I was dialing for it, and I had, you know, yeah, I was dialing with it, so I was, I was prepared. I, I went into it thinking I was going to be shooting out to four or five hundred, but then the 
150 grain SST was so bad in the wind that practically in the field, like even five mile at four, three or four mile an hour past 350 was starting to get. Yeah, because they're quite a like, they're real blunt ass on them, eh? They're not yep. dovetailed or nothing. Yeah, I think it was weird. I think some are and some aren't. Some weights and different yeah, calibers yeah, yeah. are. I think the lighter ones aren't. Hey? I got confused because I was like, I've def- I think the 30 cal 150 is just a flat ass on yeah. it. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. And, but then when I started Googling it in the middle of a podcast, talking about it, when I did like a Google image search, I come up with like some boat tail SSTs and some flat ones. So maybe that was just a shitty Google image search, but, um, no, I think it might be the, um, the bullet weight. Yeah. I think some of the higher BC bullet weight ones. Yeah. So that's an interesting note on the SST, which that would probably help the BC quite a bit, but yeah, the one fifth, the flat ass one fifty thirty. um, 30 cows, pretty modest BC on them. Um, but I did shoot a couple of animals out at 300, 350. I remember shooting a goat, a billy goat at 350. Yeah. Um, and he was actually quartering away. And I just, you know, when it's hard quartering away and you just sort of, you almost put it in just in front just of their hip sort of thing, you yeah, know? Just and, behind the rib cage, yep. probably, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And that went, that was under the skin on the far shoulder and just a perfect, beautiful mushroom, you know, yeah. and it just it was a bit of a bang flop. But um, you're probably right, man, probably out to about 1,800, 2,000 feet per second, the SST is still going pretty good. And that's when they start holding together and penetrating really well. Um, I think the only thing is with getting, like, with being in short range and getting them down to that speed is the whole, you've got to, have way less powder, and you know, which is where you start running into problems. I think with pressure and stuff like that. If you go too low, hundred yeah. percent, you don't want to go too low. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's you probably can't get them down. Nah, that I low for that. Nah, I wouldn't drop them down much nah. below what I'm using. And the thing is, is what I'm using is it's one grain below minimum with H three three five. It's actually forty grains of H three three five in the three oh eight. Um, I w- wouldn't recommend anyone use that though because it's actually one grain below like recommended minimum. Um, but I later tested it and was real careful <laughs> and got some good advice on it and that, and and it's been fine. But um, it's really mild to shoot, but it's still and that's what I wanted. I wanted something that still packed a wicked punch. Oh yeah, it's kind of like shoot. It reminds me of shooting with the blackout high velocity rounds. It's just yeah. sort of and it's. It's hard. They're, they're quite slow, eh? You wouldn't have got too much velocity out of those, surely. Nah, well, that, they're a little bit lighter, so the mm. blackout high-velocity rounds, I was using a Belmont round, which was a 130-grain hollow point. Yeah. And I think they were doing about 2-2. Two, two. Oh, yeah. I think they were doing 2-2. Two, two. They were brutal. It's a little hammer, eh? It was a hammer. Yeah. And it was quite a soft hollow point. Yeah, and they were... Mushroom like crazy, mushroom like crazy, yeah. And it was just real sweet to shoot, and yeah. um, yeah. So the the 150 grain SST doing two four, that's quite a st- hefty step up mm. from that, and yeah, it's brutal. It's and it's in that 20 inch barrel 308 with that big suppressor on it. It's so nice to shoot, yeah. but like it's, 
I was quite surprised. I shot a decent, the first animal I shot with him was a decent sized red stag. And um, he ran. Um, but, you yeah, know, I walked over there and, oh, there was just blood everywhere. It had gone, yeah. it was a an raking shot, sort of angling on, you know, hit him sort of on the point of the shoulder. And um, I don't, I still don't understand how he ran and how he covered twenty meters because yeah. there was just blood and bits of lung and crap everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I find with my um, those ELDMs, um, I'm using two two oh seven, I think, which is like more of a two four three powder, I think, or something. But um, yeah, it's quite a faster, it's a bit faster than the I think two two oh eight, and that you're supposed to use for three oh eight. Um, for that same sort of thinking that you had, that it would um, burn well inside that suppressor and make it uh, much quieter. Mm. So that worked, though, because, um, yeah, it is. It's pretty good. But that round, like, it must be almost almost identical to the SST because I shot a deer, uh, probably like a two-, three-year-old hind, good-sized hind, at probably about 20 metres, I think, side-on, slightly quartering away. Um, just thumped her straight behind the shoulder and when we got over there I was like oh hell, that's a hell of a um, exit wound and the mate's like no nah, that's the side you shot her on I was like oh it is too and like, there was a bit of gut like popping out on that side I was like what the hell it hadn't gone through at all yeah. it had just gone and obviously like the shock had like yeah. pulled that stuff back out of that entry wound and I was like Whoa. capillary like boff like, <laughs> yeah because yeah. it was a hell of a like pop too like that, mm. yeah, that round just and I've shot was Maybe that a bang flop? No, nah, no, nah, she run probably like oh yeah, uh, maybe 30, 40 odd meters. She's what? what? Sorry, what weight? EODM one fifty. Yeah, one fifty five. Oh yeah. So she ran up into the bush, and like we just followed Meg. Meg was just like they were in this little gut sort of clearing, wind just funneling straight down it, and once she ran up, and another one, there was one right next to her, which I shot over. They both ran off, and another one followed them. So they went up into the bush. And as soon as we sort of got over there, I was like, didn't that go up here? But Meg was like straight in front of us. I was like, oh, we'll just follow her. She knows what's up. And then sure enough, like another 10 metres and this thing must have gone up. Started coming back down and just rolled back into the clearing. Yeah. Yeah, that would be be the only sort of thing to argue, particularly 155s with the ELDMs up close because... If you're using a soft bullet like the ELDM, which from all accounts the ELDM is basically the old AMAX, like a new word for the old. They've changed a couple of things with the tip and stuff, but apparently it's pretty um, comparable. And, you know, a soft explosive bullet, like people used to use the old AMAX at long range because they expanded at low velocity and all of that. Um, But... Yeah, that's why I'm using the 208 ELDM yeah. and the 308 because uh, I'm, it's a soft bullet, so it's going to expand at low velocities. So I don't mind giving up the velocity. Mm. Um, obviously, what, what do you get out of that? People slow, man. Like uh, I think mine are only like two. Six seventy or something. Yeah, I'm like two five. Oh, okay. I think yeah. I'm like two four eighty or yeah, something like makes, that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think at range, there's not much difference. Yeah. 
because the mines the two oh eight's a really high BC. Yeah. Light bullets slow down quicker, eh? Mm. And and heavy bullets carry their speed much better, yeah. and they're carrying a lot, a lot oh, more energy. Energy, but the biggest thing with that, so the one, the the one thing with soft explosive bullets, the one argument that you can make is that what if they blow up on the shoulder, you know, and they don't penetrate far enough? Yeah, I'd I'd be. Really surprised if that happened with what you're using, the 155 ELDM, but it's possible, especially if you hit the big shoulder yeah. knuckle. If, on you a, if you don't hit that, it'd be fine. I, I wouldn't have any issues with that, I don't think. Uh, yeah, and even then I think you'd be okay, but <laughs> you could argue it. Yeah. Um, but that's where, um, like if you, like a, so a soft bullet, uh, if it's soft and once it gets too light, you can be walking a bit of a fine line, but it can be just as soft, even going the same speed, but if you're up in mass, a heavier projectile, it's yeah. a totally different thing. Like 208 grains of soft shit hitting yeah. is a totally different prospect than 155 grains of soft shit hitting something, you know? Yeah. Like that weight pushes through, and it's a bigger whack, more energy, and... A huge part of it too is that you are slowing it down a little bit, so it's not, you know, it's not yeah, it's, as liable to explode. Yeah. Um, it, and it can be a fine line there, particularly like if you're trying to set up something that's going to work well at extreme long range and really low velocity, mm. that you start walking that fine line when you're shooting something in the shoulder at 20 meters, yeah, you know, because yeah. that's where it can blow up. So that's why I like the 208. It's slowing it down a bit. It's a little bit more heavy, so it's I know it's going to work better out there because it's more weight it's better in the wind higher bc up close it's going to work better too because it's going a little bit slower and it's got more mass punch, yeah. yeah it's pretty fine i think you'll be fine 98 percent of the time yeah, with the yeah. 155 I've shot yeah like i haven't shot too many of those because i've been concentrating on the subsonics but uh i shot a couple of i was using them in the raw shot three stags of them in the neck and there's just Oh, neck lights out. You know, talking like ten meters. So yeah, work it in the neck. Yeah, a soft explosive bullet for those. I actually like a soft bullet for. I actually think a soft bullet gives you more options, especially in the bush. Yeah, because if you miss the spine with a soft high velocity bullet, like in the neck. Yeah, you know, and you go and you hit the throat, but it's in a, It's like a one your bullet. Hitting the throat, explode. yeah, just explode, yeah. yeah, and it's the same. If you go above the spine, across the back of the neck, it's so explosive, yeah, and it's imparting so much energy. It's just brutal, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that whole argument, like a harder bullet, gives you more penetration. So you could say. You could, which I'd never take anyway, but there is the argument you could take an arsene shot with a really hard bullet or raking shots and stuff like that. But I don't know, yeah, hard bullets. But then once you get them going fast enough, then that solves. Yeah, because I was in my 300 Wisdom, I was using uh, GMXs, Hornady GMX, so they're full copper. Yep. And I remember I was messaging you about it, um, asking what you were using, I think, because I shot a deer at like, pretty sure it was like 500 plus metres, mm. pinned it straight through the shoulders. The thing was still standing when we got over there to recover yep. it. Yeah. And we were like, we know, I was like, where did I hit this thing? We know, sure enough, skinned it out and like, yeah, 
bang straight in behind the shoulder, but it just hadn't done bugger all at that sort of velocity. Obviously, the drop off was that much that it just went penciling straight through. Yeah, yeah, hard bullet, too hard a bullet, or a pain mm. in the ass. And so I think that's when you said you or even go to the um, ELD, ELDX, X or M. Mm. Yeah, yep, yeah, the X. They're still a bit harder though. Eh? Yeah, in a Magnum. They're yeah. probably okay, and I have heard people say, um, Ian Hardy said that the, the M's can be a little bit soft in the Magnums, but again, that's talking about like a 7mm rem mag where you're probably shooting 162 grain, and there's a big difference between a 150, 60 grain pill and a 180 or a 200, you know? Yeah. Like it's only a fine line, but... Um, I did a real long rambly podcast about the <laughs> what did I call it the um, something of, oh, oh I can't even remember but the the subtleties of ballistics you know yeah, yeah. and it's kind of what you just touched on with the subsonics how you you end up pushing right up to and everything works perfectly right up to a line and you get more and more confident you think man i'm yeah. away and then you just hit a point where nah that does not work nah. like that anymore you know like yeah. yeah and and sometimes it's literally 20 grains or 200 feet per second or a little bit harder pill and yeah. you start running into trouble you know yeah i thought it'd be good because you shot that bloody cow with one of those Lehigh, so I thought, man, if he can shoot this thing through the scone and down it, yeah, <laughs> surely this thing in the back of the neck will be fine. Gotta hit him, bang <laughs> yeah, exactly. on though, like yeah. so bang so that's on, the thing. man. I probably, I just put it down till I just pulled the shot slightly and, yeah. and clipped it off the side. Didn't yeah. I was there when I found that blood? I was like, oh, hopefully it's at least like hit the juggler or something like that. But mm. obviously it didn't because it just started getting less and less and yeah, and nothing. Because we started tracking originally, Meg was going, and I thought, well, there was two there, so maybe. I wasn't even looking for blood because I never usually do when I'm with her. So I thought I'll just go back again and we'll just start again and I'll actually pay attention. And then sure enough, like straight away there was blood as oh she is on the wounded one. Yeah. And yeah, there was blood every like five meters of that and just disappeared into nowhere. I was like, oh not cool. Nah, it's a bummer, eh? Mm. But, but I I'm pretty confident that thing will live though. Like fuck, I've seen some deal with some horrendous Things happen to them and they're living life like nothing's even gone, mm. you know. Yeah. Nothing's wrong with them at all. Yeah, it's an unfortunate part of the game, but mm. if you happens. do enough of it, it happens, yeah. Do everything you can to prevent it. Oh, yeah, like it's the worst thing you can have happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You feel like shit, but yeah, you can't get it right every time. Dude, it sucks. It just, I just, when it happens, I lost one a while ago and yeah, you just sit down and you just like, uh, yeah. And it I remember it like eight months after, yeah. and I'm just like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember, like, even some people put, will put that on their YouTube things as well. Like, Roger's done it as well. Like, he's usually pretty pretty careful and methodical about where he's shooting and shot placement and stuff. And he's cocked up some easy ones and, mm. and put it out there just, you know, for everyone to see. So, you know, it happens. Yeah, it's good to, it's good to put it out there. And mm. I'm definitely guilty of not posting the hunts where I don't shoot something or yeah, if I yeah. screw something up I just don't post it. Yeah. Definitely guilty of that. Only showing the, the best the good, moments. Eh? But yeah. uh it happens everyone knows it happens too though, so you don't yeah. really, you don't really need to post it as well. Nah that you know. that's it, yeah. Um it should it definitely can happen much more than it should if you get sloppy. Like yeah. I know I've I've 
no one hunters that it happens way too much and mm. you can, you know, take all the proper steps and it happens way less. But it's um, more I've found guys that are t- trying out the long range stuff. Mm. <laughs> either, yeah, either long range when you haven't done your homework properly or haven't figured out your drops or nothing like that. Eh? Yeah. That just or, and it's funny because people say that, oh, long, you know, some people have a bit of a dig at long range hunting and it's this and that and whatever, but usually people that don't know much about it. Um, I actually heard that some guy had a big whinge about long range hunting and then he said, to be honest, I don't know anything about it, but I don't <laughs> think it's any good. It's yeah. like, well, <laughs> all right. Um, there's, but, a lot uh, to, there's a lot to think about and consider when you start long range hunting. Dude, but <laughs> but the, the point though is that shooting up close offhand can be just as bad, if not way worse. Like it's not oh, yeah. it's not what you're doing; it's how you're doing it. You know, um, and you can do that's in one of my solo super rambly podcasts. I talked about um, like working out your parameters. You know, yeah, like of of. Uh, you can long range if you get up into some magnums with a high BC um, and not crazy magnums, just a rem mag, you know, 7mm yeah. rem mag or a wisdom or a 300 wind mag or something. And if it's um, work out your range, four or 500 yards, work out your wind and go, oh, my rem mag only gets pushed up to four inches in a five mile an hour or six mile an hour so if it, if it's early in the morning and there's no wind then and I can get steady and I can hold it right on the spot and I've shot gongs and I never miss it four mm. five hundred yards then it's it's in a lot of ways it can actually be more ethical than up close with the deer jumping around on the spot you know oh, yeah. it's 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 all about though working out your parameters putting in the homework doing the practice and Long range hunting can be super ethical and and really effective. Oh yeah, you've also you got a little bit of time on your hands too, to kind of get over a bit of buck fever or yeah, whatever you know, in the bush. It's often like it's happening. Mm. Got to make a call pretty fast. A hundred percent. You're pretty much usually just straight up and within like a second you're pulling the trigger. Yeah, like that one. The ones that I missed and the ones I wounded, I was like hundred percent confident on those shots. I thought yeah, these things are mm. going down, but. Happens, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we all messed the odd one up. <laughs> it sucks. Um, how, how's about those kingies, though? <laughs> That's a whole different ball game, eh? Yeah. That was a that was a pretty cool trip out with Tim, eh? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's got the knowledge there, eh, to put us on the spot, so that was pretty mean. Yeah. My, my favourite bit, I've got it on a, on a... I'll put that video out at some point when I get time to edit it. Um... But when we're catching live baits, I like hit record on the GoPro and like pointed at it and I was like, "What? Uh, what's the percentages, Tim? I want some percentages. Like, what are we? <laughs> what's a, our chance of catching a kingfish today?" And he sort of like did the confused like. Did he just say a hundred? Like, yeah, he goes. He just like confused. It was like. Oh, we'll catch a kingy. Yeah. It just depends <laughs> how many and how big, but we're going to catch a king. He was just a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was more effort cap, uh, catching the live baits. Yeah, yeah. No, that was cool, man. And he and and I've said to him, "Oh, we're going to do that trip again." Or man, that was cool the other day. And he's like, "Yeah, the fishing was it was a frustrating day. The fishing was really slow." And I was like, "Man, we were pumped." Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that, well, the kingy part of it wasn't that slow. Yeah, the well, ca- catching the baits was a little bit, and then the snapper fishing after was a little bit patchy. But mm, yeah, we caught with the kingies. We caught. It took us a good couple of hours to get our liveies, mm. and then we rolled straight over to the kingy spot, caught two quite quickly, and then yeah. that buttoned off, eh? And we mucked around there for a couple of hours. Yeah. So I get. I think that's what he's meaning. It was slow, as in we didn't catch twelve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, the soft baiting was slow, but... Um, but just sign everywhere, though, eh? Everywhere we stopped, there was just mm. marks all over the sound. You thought, yeah. going to have an absolute clean-up here, but for whatever ever reason, they just weren't really biting that much. Mm. Eh? I had a similar day um, up the Firth the other day where the sounder was just... The sounder looked mad all day, and I could catch panties. I could have kept four limits of panties if I wanted yeah. to. Uh, you know, small snapper, like 350 sort of thing all day. Um, but I just couldn't get any decent fish on yeah. the go. And, and the sound would just look crazy the whole time. But either the big fish weren't there or they weren't biting. One yeah. of the two, I don't know. Or I was in the wrong spot the whole time. And I moved around all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Did all sorts, but it just didn't fire. Yeah. I got two squid though. Yeah, yeah. I was like a twelve-year-old girl <laughs> catching those. I, I don't know why. I was so pumped. Is that the first ones you've ever caught? Yeah, man. Oh, I've actually um, years ago, back in the day, I've scooped a few up in the net at White Island, like yeah, on yeah. on a big charter out there, staying overnight. Yeah. And you roll out and anchor up, and um, put all the big lights, big floodlights on, and and burly out and catch um, catch your liveys. Um, and the lights, flying fish come in. Um, they like sometimes they land on the boat and yeah, come skidding yeah. past and stuff. Um, and squid get screwed up by either they're just coming past and you're in the way, or they actually come up to the light. Yeah. And um, he, he, the uh, it's actually bloody that was on the Enchanter. Oh. Um, Is that Rick? Lance. Oh. Lance. The Enchanter's the one that. Um, Is that the one that sunk? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Was he on there? Yeah, he was a skipper. Oh. Yeah. Did he, go, yeah. Did he go down with it or did he survive? Nah, he survived. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was one of the survivors. Oh. I went out on that boat buddy three or four times yep. out to white. Um, but yeah, on the squid, he'd come out and um, we went different times a year, but this time he was like, there's a few squid around boys and like put a, a big net in the rod holder, you know, and he's like, if a squid comes over, scoop <laughs> them and they're like real good live baits, you reckon, yeah. you know. And you put them down oh, for... Oh, even keep them as liveies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kingies froth on them, eh? Yeah. Apparently, a, quite a big part of the kingies... I've, I don't know how right this is, but apparently... I've heard people say this, that, um, you know, people say spring is when... Spring is when kingies are, like, busting up on the surface. That part of that is squid. But oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um... But so, yeah. you've, so you've never caught one like on a lure? Like nah, nah, yeah, that was my first squid yeah. on a lure. I'd sco- yeah, going back to this catching those squid. Yeah. I'd scooped a cu- I had I have scooped a couple with the net at White Island and and but we didn't eat them, we just threw them in as bait. But um yeah, that was my first time using a jig. Yeah. And um quite a bit of homework. Actually, there's a guy, muddy feet on um uh Ryan can't remember. I do know his bloody last name. Um, the old YouTube. Yeah. Let me see <laughs> if I can find it because he's a good bugger. 
that's um that's like getting into this whole kingy business like <clears throat> been fishing all my life sort of thing and round rods and all that kind of stuff but as soon as you start mucking around with tackle that's bigger than what you're used to and targeting a different fish you just feel like a newbie again all over like it's quite weird yeah yeah i feel like i didn't know anything about fishing trying to like when we were out on the boat with tim and you guys i've never really loved rigged up liveies before and stuff so it's kind of just like sitting back that you guys take care of everything feel like i'm a little bit useless but i didn't want to get in 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 the way of um what you guys kind of know and yeah, you just feel like you'd you'd never been fishing before. Starting all over again, yeah. eh? Something new and exciting. Oh yeah. Um, I've almost got Ryan. And it is though. It's a hell of a buzz. Yeah, Ryan Hampton. He's got a um, YouTube channel, Muddy Feet, um, and uh, lateral line Nathan and Milan. Yeah, I saw Nathan and Milan catching squid up. Coro, yeah, and um, so the one that like fully inks Nathan, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, Milan brings it up and like points its ass straight, straight at, at him. But it was it was like it was right at the it was at the transom, yeah, yeah, yeah. and NATO standing like mid boat, and it yeah, just yeah. hits and just feels like it. Some of it's in my ear. <laughs> it's quite funny, but um, I saw I've seen them catching squid a couple of times, and I was like. I think I know where that <laughs> spot is. And then I saw uh, Ryan Hampton there as well, and I was like, man, I think that's the same spot. And I don't know if it is, but I think it is. Yeah. I went straight to that spot, and because and you generally catch squid in, like, this shallow, weedy stuff, and there's a, there's a real um, distinct look of the sort of country. I've seen them. I saw those guys fishing. Yeah. Um, and I went, I think I actually know that exact spot. And Ryan Hampton always talks about the um, Shimano Avocado lure. It's a green lure. Yeah. And it's a Shimano. It's a bit, It's the exact same lure. And I said, man, what lure are you using? He said, oh, it's this. And he actually sent me a photo of it and told me what weight. I brought the exact lure. So I brought the exact lure, went to the, <laughs> the exact, exact spot, spot and yeah. just did exactly what they did. And um, like fifth cast. Yeah. Yeah, and you're just like dragging in your because the lures they actually sink and you're over the weed, so they they're sinking towards the weed. Yeah. And you've got to watch them, and it was perfect because uh, it was a nice dead flat, so I could see. I actually see my lure. I did a couple of short casts and watch how fast it sunk, oh, and yeah. you sort of like pull it t- towards you, which lifts it to to keep it off the weed, and then you sort of let it sink as long as you dare. Yeah. And then try to yank it again before it hits the weed. Yeah. And um, I clipped the weed a couple, and then I cast. I clipped the weed a couple of times, so there was a couple of yanks on it, and then I cast into some w- weedy water that had a riffle on it. So I, so I was just guessing. I couldn't see the lure. Yeah. And I did about three or four drags, and then like it just like slowed up, and I was like, "Is this weed or what?" And then <laughs> I did a couple of like gentle lifts with a bit of weight. And it's real light line and a real floppy rod. And then, yeah, then it did a couple of pumps and pulls. Oh, yeah. It's like, I think I've got one. Yeah. So it's <laughs> not like a snapper bite or anything nah. like that. It's just kind of like you pick up a bit of weed or something. It's a little bit like hooking yeah. a, a plastic bag. Yeah. You know? And But then they do do a couple. And Someone I was using. tries to like shoot away from you. They do a couple of pumps. Yeah. You can yeah. just feel it pumping. And um, it, it's weird because the second one I caught, like five casts late, I caught two in like five minutes of first ever yeah. using them, you know. And um, the second one I caught, it was back 
into the sheltered side and, and there was like this weed edge and it come out onto the sand and I cast it over the weed and then I did a couple of pulls and I could actually see my lure, you know, and I did a couple of pulls and then it come off the edge of the weed and I just let it sink like right down that weed edge like towards the sand so it just did this like metre drop and then uh, and I, was, I could see my lure and then I went to pull and it was the weed was right behind it and I went to pull and it was just like and I had the drag reel loose six pound mono and I just went to pull and the drag just went tick 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 I was like what and I wound down and gent pulled tick 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 and I was looking at my lure <laughs> and I was like and it looked like it was hooked on the weed and I was yeah. pulling on the weed and next thing like there's this big puff of ink and it sort of went and it did a pull yeah. and it was just invisible man yeah. couldn't it was a bit, you know, it was like a little bit gloomy. I couldn't see it perfectly, but yeah. they're a weird freaking thing, eh? They're, they're almost invisible when they're swimming around. Like, they're there, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. can't see them. And then um, they're such a weird thing, eh? When you get a good size one alive up on the bait board and it's like flipping around <laughs> and it's all the little spots on it are changing, yeah. moving around on it. and Yeah, I never caught one. I've only ever seen them in bait. And have you seen tools. how you kill them? And you give them a karate chop and they go... Yeah, they just go like instantly all kind yeah. of everything goes out of them, eh? Yeah. Yeah. That's I've so... I've seen that happens with um, octopus. They do it to that too, eh? They just bite them. Some guys will bite them like right between the eyes or something like that and just instantly like all colour just goes. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you know Josh James was on Joe Rogan for that? Like... Oh, Not nah. as a guest, but um, there's a Joe Rogan episode oh, true. where they're, t- you know. I think it's probably him that I saw doing it, I think. You know how Rogan always talks about weird shit like yeah, bear yeah. attacks and just weird stuff? He's right into, um, what's that, Instagram, nature is metal and all that weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. Somehow it come up like octopus and killing octopus and someone, and the, the guest of someone's like, have you seen that guy in New Zealand? And and that you know, I'm like, pull that up, Jamie. And and yeah, it's Josh James. Yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> that was hard case. Joe uh, Rogan's like, this guy's a fucking savage. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was classic. But yeah, it was cool, man. Catching squid. Yeah. Want to? Might just take a quick break, here, or you want to carry on talking by yourself? Yeah, about. Um. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, go for it. We'll just do a break. I'll just cut it out. Right. So they so they had him. They obviously didn't interview him. No, nah, they though, they just brought it up. Yeah, they just pulled up the shot. Yeah, yeah it was classic. It's like Joe <laughs> Josh James is on Joe Rogan. But yeah, it was cool, man. Like yeah. something a bit different. And you ate those away. You didn't use them. Yeah, 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 ate them. Yeah, yeah, they're a bit finicky to cook, eh? Oh, yeah. So you like crumb them up? Or no, I just know? fried no. it. Yeah. Um. That like raw, that ch- real chewy. Yeah. Like undercooked, they're chewy, and if you cook them too much, they go chewy again too. There's <laughs> a real sweet yeah, spot. Yeah. Um, one trick apparently to make them tender is to soak them in milk overnight. Yeah, so you do with some game meat too. Yeah, I can't have milk, so oh yeah, um, you can't just even smash them with a mallet a little bit or something. Tenderize them up. Yeah. I don't think so i don't think it works like that like power but um another trick that i saw was apparently just soaking in lemon juice for like an hour or so kiwi kiwi fruit's meant to be a real good one for that yeah yeah people say the same with venison do the the kiwi fruit with the venison yeah yeah. like saying like any game meat like any chewy meat 
Um, apparently kiwi fruit just break the acid and it breaks it right down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The main thing on the squid seems to be like you peel the skin. They've got a skin on the, you know, they've got the little fins off the side of the yeah. main big bulb, the mantle. Um, if you get them off right, you actually pull, because they've got the, you know, the skin with all the funny spots on it and the yeah. colour, that pull, peels off mm. with those fin bits. Yeah. That all peels off like a sock if you'd get it right. But the actual bulb bit has a bit of a skin too. You can feel it when you eat. It's almost, you know, when you're eating a sausage and it's like the mint on the inside with the casing on the outside. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like that. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why, have you ever got it at a restaurant or whatever and it's instead of in rings, it's in squares and it's all scored? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they're just scoring that skin. Yeah. Um, beautiful flavour though, just sweet, mild. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't put anything in with it, you just straight pan fried it? Just did, yeah, a bit of salt and pepper. Yeah. I did two batches. The first one I did salt and pepper. It was bloody good. The second one I did salt and pepper, a little bit of garlic, just crushed garlic. Um, and and I tried a couple of different things, but my favourite was just sweet chilli sauce. Yeah. Just dunking them in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my favourite way to eat power too. Sweet chilli. Sweet chilli sauce and power. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not too much of a fan of pa. Well, the only time I've actually tried pa was bloody years ago, and the mate just threw it on the barbie and just tasted like I was eating a bloody rubber boot. Pretty much. So I was, <laughs> was it? It's all in the way you cook it, I suppose. Was it fresh? Uh, oh, I can't actually remember whether it was frozen or fresh. I would assume it was relatively fresh. Mm. Yeah. Um. Oh, like anything, eh? You can definitely butcher it. Yeah. Um. And not it's not everyone's. I love it, man. Like good. Look, I've had it when it hasn't been that great, but if you treat it all right and cook it right, it can be outstanding, eh? Yeah. And that's my favorite way of eating it is just chop, slicing it up into you know I don't know ten mil bits. Cause like well, you got to whack it or something, eh? Like get a yeah. Get it nice and soft. I've had it when it's like rubber, and I've had it when it's like real soft and nice. Um, but just cooked perfectly, not overcooked, and then um, just heaps of sweet chilli, man. Yeah. I can <laughs> eat that. I eat so much of that. You put that on your smoked fish too, don't you? Uh, yep. Yep, sweet chilli sauce. Do that mix. Um, I'm going to start doing some fishing catching cooks, though. Um, yeah, obviously yeah. you didn't do one with that last kingy. You were going to, eh? Nah, I filmed a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I keep filming stuff and then and I keep um, like I don't know. There's something about the sound I don't like, or I want to change this or change that, or no, I want to do that again, but like this. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably um, it's been fussy. Been fussy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's a that uh, just sweet chili sauce and soy sauce, man. You know how the original thing for smoking fish is um, brown sugar and salt. salt yeah, yes, because sweet chili that's mainly sugar. That shit, like yeah, um, that's got heaps of sweet in it, and then um, and soy sauce is salty as yeah. So you just like chuck put the I just put heaps of sweet chili in a bowl, and then and I've got like this little silicone brush. Like it's like a yeah, kitchen yeah. brush, yeah. Um, and I just yeah put a, heaps of sweet chili in a bowl, like enough to paint all the fish I've got, and then I just like pour soy sauce in it, 
stirring it up to get it to about the right consistency, just like thin it out with soy sauce yeah. and paint that all over. It's just like sweet, salty, chilli. Sometimes I put, um, actually the, my favourite sweet chilli to use for it is Trident do a sweet chilli with ginger. Oh, yeah. So it's got a real ginger hit in it, and then I'll put a um, little bit of garlic in it too. So it's really sweet chilli, ginger, garlic, and soy sauce. Yeah. Um, it's so easy. And, you know, like the old doing the brown sugar thing and you get sprinkle it all over. And it's it, quite a pain in the ass. It, it is a bit, yeah. <laughs> doesn't spread. Mind you, if you just sit it on there, though, just... Because do you leave yours overnight or something in the fridge? Nah. I, Not really? Do, nah, generally just do it do it instant. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and a relatively quick smoke, too. Um and it's a bit of a different thing. So I do a relatively quick smoke, so it's not I'm not I'm not drying the fish out. Mm, yeah. And so it's actually the fish it's got a nice bark on the outside, smoky flavour, sweet chili and all salty and soy and that. But the inside's like quite nice and juicy. Like you know when you cook a piece of snapper perfectly and it's still juicy and you don't yeah. overcook it and dry it out yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so it's sort of like that real juicy on the inside yeah i like it like that yeah um yeah i don't i don't it's a different thing and it can be really good the whole thing when you brine it and let the salt suck the moisture out and then yeah a longer smoke so it's firm and different you know yeah, yeah. comes up bloody good Getting hungry talking about it. <laughs> um, what did, did you have a feed on that kingy that you took back? Yeah, I pretty much. Um, I just whipped the two fillets off, gave the head and all the frame and that to my worker, um, and then when he was picking that up, I had the the fillets whacked up and said like steaks, and I had them um, already sitting with some brown sugar and stuff. And sitting in the chiller, and I said to him, "Oh, so you might as well take like pretty much half of that too, because it was just heaps, mm. like way more for us to handle. And even giving some of it away, it's like how, how many people can you really go and drive to to give them a little chunk of kingfish? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, now there was freaking heaps of it. Eh? Yeah. yeah. How did you did you smoke some? Yeah, yeah I smoked a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty much all of it. I, yeah, I didn't stake any up and fry it. Yeah. Yeah. What what lot. what sort of smoker have you got? Oh, it's just like an old school wares like. My old man had it made, um, just stainless box, probably about 600 by 400 maybe, about 300 tall, and just put the cooker straight underneath it pretty much, and it's just got one rack in there, so. Yeah, do you do like sawdust in it or? Yeah, just yeah. chuck a bit of um, manuka, I think, in there, just yeah. that on the bottom and, yeah, yeah, yeah pretty pretty hot, fast smoke. Yeah, still yeah, it was, comes up good, eh? Yeah, it was pretty good, eh? Yeah. Um, the first batch I did, I wasn't watching it too well, and it actually the flame went out, or got too low that it wasn't creating the smoke in it. So I think that made a little bit of a weird flavour on it as well, because it wasn't smoking the whole time. Yeah, but um, yeah, everyone I gave it to enjoyed it, so it's all good. It's actually bloody good eating the old kingy. Eh? Like some mm. people are like, yeah, I don't know, I could give a take it sort of, but yeah, I love it. Hey, yeah, no, nah, it was pretty good. I think next time though, I'll probably I'll definitely stake some up. Yeah, and fry it up as well. Oh, it can be awesome like that, like yeah. so good, especially real fresh. And um, like I was saying out there, um, big fan of like gutting it ASAP and getting it mm. packed away on ice, real good makes a big difference, man. Yeah, 
I think that's a big part of why people are like, oh, I don't like kawaii or I don't like kingfish because the fish that people say, oh, I like snapper, snapper, like, you can get away with murder with it and it still tastes good. Yeah. The fish that take a bit more care. You don't have to bleed them or anything like that, do you? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love king ea. Yeah. So good. I did a... Um, that's what I'm going to do a catch and cook on that is um, like fish head soup, man. I did this big, like big fish head soup out of the kingy head. Yeah, it's you wouldn't. Th- I know it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea, <laughs> but it's unreal, man. It's yeah. so good. Um, it's real easy too. Just you just boil, literally boil the head with, and you only like not even half cover it with water. Yeah. So because otherwise you've got too much water in there and it waters it down. Um. About half covered and you just boil it for... It takes bugger all to cook it too. It just cooks out and falls apart quite quickly. And you yeah. turn it, but you put um, just onion, tomato and ginger in there first. And then you boil the head down. And then it all just falls apart. And um, and then that makes the soup. And then the I took this chick, um, Megan, fishing. And um, Megan Signal... And um, she caught this kingfish, and her mum's Filipino, and she so she makes you know all these epic Filipino dishes, and that's what she was making that fish head soup. And um, I said, oh, that sounds good. And then Megan took the kingy home, and then turned up half an hour later with this huge posh pot of fish head soup, you know. Yeah. And um, she said, she said that's all that's in it is tomato, onion, and ginger. And then just put a bit of soy sauce in before you eat it. And I had it like that and it was epic. The the soup, the actual soup, the liquid's like real tasty from cooking yeah. the head down. And there's heaps of head on a king, like heaps of fish meat on a kingfish oh, yeah, head. Yeah. Um, so you just dig that out and get all these lumps of fish and then you have it with um, rice and then just heaps of the liquid, you know. Put a bit of soy sauce in it and I added um, lemon juice, vinegar, and you know that, um, do you eat sushi at all? Nah, not you a don't huge, really like it. Yeah, you probably wouldn't it. like the fish head soup. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I love sushi. Oh, I think it's just the seaweed. Oh, that yeah, I'm not too much of a fan of. Yeah, yeah, actually, that would be epic in that soup, that sea, <laughs> seaweed. Uh, but I then I put like some sushi ginger on the side too, and some oh, bok yeah. choy, and I love it, man. It was yeah. if you a lot of people wouldn't be into it, but if you are into that sort of thing, it's epic, yeah. And the amount of, like, doing it like that, making a soup out of it and heap, cooking heaps of rice and some bok choy and doctoring it all up, the amount of food that comes off a kingy head yeah. is unreal. And I did another one just with um, only little um, panty snapper, you know, 350, 400s. I put all the heads and the wings and I actually scaled a couple of snapper and put, the boneless fillets in too. I just sort of diced them up into big chunks and boiled down the heads and the wings and then I just put those fillets in there at the end so they were just cooked and then I had a big soup of that. And that like the amount of food that is in heads and wings, even small snapper is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then when you do a soup and the rice, it's yeah, so good. Yeah. Definitely not everyone's cup of tea yeah. though. <laughs> You know, my missus likes the old sushi. I'm not too, yeah. Like I say, I think it's just that seaweed taste eh, that I'm not too, not too keen on. Yeah, that's all right. Like I'll still eat it, but 
I can't chow down on it. That's for sure. Yeah, I love that seaweed. Yeah. And um, like miso soup, you know, have you had a miso soup? Oh, probably not. No. It's got heaps of seaweed in it. That, oh, yeah, no, definitely not then. <laughs> that would go good. And if you like seaweed in that fish head soup too, that would notch yeah. it right up. Because um, look at these bloody lures you got there, mate. Slide them over. The NACLs. Watch those hooks, bro, because mm. they are sharp. So these will be um, BKK hooks. Yeah. Right, you can see them on the camera. Real nice NACL. Uh, what's this? They're the 200, 110 grammers, I think. Yeah. Um, so 200 millimetres long, eh, 110, and that's the diving popper, eh, DP. Yeah. yeah. So that's, but different colour. So that's a purple one. That they, I like that pink. Pink's yeah, a bloody yeah. good colour. That, that'll work too. Yeah. Um, All of the other, the kahawa and the kahiru were sold out pretty quick smart. So did you just get the DPs or did you get yeah, some? Yeah, no, I just got those ones, yeah. Um, I read somewhere, I think it might have actually been on his Insta or something that if he had a pick of one, that would be the one. He'd go the DP too. Yeah. Yep. So it's for the listeners, we're holding a NACL, it's a big stick bait, a big lure for kingfish. And these ones, um, they actually have a cup in the front, which is sort of like a popper. Mm. Um, so they pop up, you pull them and they do a big wiggle. And then if you pause, they pop up, grab a mouthful of air. And when you yank them again, eh, they pull that big mm. bubble trail down yeah. through the water and real visual and exciting yeah. for the fish. And, um, Oh, you got barbless triples. Yeah, yeah, I was quite interested in that. But, yeah, barb on the single at the back. Mm. Yeah, he, he rigged them up. Um, there's an option on there when you buy them to for him to rig them. Apparently they swim better with a triple. With a triple, yeah. I like singles, but I've got I've got a bit of both. I've got triples yeah. as well. It depends on the just the weight of them, I think, more than anything. Because the, nom- the nomads that I've got have got just the singles. Uh, singles or a double? Nah, your smaller ones have got doubles, eh? Yeah. I think the 200 mil ones have got singles. So here's some Nomads too, Riptides. I've, I've caught some, had them work really well. These are more stick baits. I've got a big box of... You see, they come, they came ripped with singles. Oh, yeah, yeah. see, that's my favourite setup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the theory is... That the big triple, mid ship, mid lure, like destable, like helps them wobble around. Oh, you yeah. know, creates more drag midway. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's what it is. It's all like a lot of the hook size and having the treble and stuff like that is about that. Like the 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 size and whether it's single or a triple on the back or the front and that. Yeah. Changes the way the lure yeah, swims yeah. quite a bit. Eh? That's a bloody good lure, man. Yeah, blue one. Yeah, yeah, they work good as gold. Like, and that's like you wonder. You can get three of those for the price of one of those. Yeah, if you, I know that you said, "Oh, how come you got so many riptides?" <laughs> yeah. And that's if I'm somewhere that's cranking <laughs> the same color, <laughs> and it's sharky ears. Yeah. Yeah, then I'd start using these more. Yeah, rather than the yeah, I probably yeah. wouldn't be casting those around rocks too much because you got more chance of getting owned into the rocks and yeah. losing one of them. 
Yeah, I'd probably be chucking one of those on. But if I what are like, they? What are, what did that sting you? The uh, I think they're about one fifty each. I think. Yeah. Um, or is that fifty? Yeah. 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 Oh, sixty. I, sixty, I, I think. Yeah. Okay. I think these smaller ones are like for thirty, 30 or, 40, or forty. Yeah. yeah. And that that there that Riptide one fifty that's a freaking good little lure, man. Yeah. That size even. Yeah. Um, you see, that's weird, eh? The the two hook. Yeah. See, they've Shall got a we? double. Mm. And I think a lot of that will be just to get the action that they want out of them. Yeah. Um, I heard a good podcast, people are listening to this and are into stick baits. Um, Real Tales with Sween's podcast um, had, I can't think of the guy's name, but the guy that owns and runs On Top Lures. That's a good podcast, man, for you. Yeah, just, the OTLs. Yeah. I've seen, um, Jay Wilds has been smashing quite a few of those, though. Yeah, the guy that makes those has just been on Sween's podcast. It's quite an oh, interesting yeah. yarn, talking about stick baiting and yeah. how they work and all of that. I actually just started following them on Insta as well, so yeah, um, to see what pops up. Yeah, I can't remember where that started, but um, yeah, they talk about stick baits a heap. and um, But they look bloody good, too. Those on top, I want to try some of them, yeah, yeah. the OTLs. Because they're wooden, eh? Yep, they're all handmade yeah. wooden, bloody, and you know, a lot of people that catch a lot of fish use them and rate <laughs> them, so they've got to be good. Yeah. Uh, one thing I can say 100% though, where's a wobbler? And Oh, I've got some more here. Um, one thing I can say 100% about the NACLs <laughs> is they swim good, man. Like, um, I've got a couple of other random brands. I've got some Apex stick baits here. Um, I haven't actually caught a fish on them, but I haven't used them that much. But a couple yeah. of them don't swim that amazingly well. Yeah. Um, the Nomad swim pretty damn good. Um, the NACL swim real good, man. And I'm not super talented on and a master at stick baiting and the different yeah. sweep and all of that stuff. Um, but I found with the NAC, you can almost just cast these wobblers. You can almost just like wind them just like a trout lure, yeah. <laughs> and they and they get a nice wobble on. And when you start sweeping them and that, they do the big dive and the big yeah. yeah. There's so many different actions you can use, and depending on what the water's doing as well, as well. Hey, yeah, like if it's rough, if it's calm, if it's whatever. I've got a. It's I don't know where it is. It might even be on a rod or it's sitting in a tackle box or something. But so this is one ninety f. 100 gram 190F, this is the white one. I've seen some guys that catch a lot of kingy say that that's their favourite colour, the white. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it just stands out, but I've got to see this. This is the Kawai one. It's a smaller one. Yes, which, yes it's the colour that usually sells out pretty fast. Um, I've got a 190 in that, and that's probably one of my favourites. Not that I've done, I haven't done heaps of stick baiting, and I've only caught a couple of bloody kingies on stick baits, but... Yeah. Um, I biffed the 190 F of this at a kingy off the rocks up the mandel at two king, and they just raced each other to it, eh? Yeah. They just. But having said that, you had that on one a smaller version of that, didn't you? Of the Nomad. I've caught a couple one. on Nomads. Yeah. I've caught most of them on this pink color. Nomads. Um, having said that, though, and that, I was thinking about this like. Those two kingies cruising along that you probably could have thrown anything, anything yeah, any yeah. one of these. They were just cruising, yeah. looking for trouble, and were just like smack, you know, <laughs> anything that looked like a fish. Yeah. But that's the whole. That's actually part of the. And I think like that, Sweens and that 
guy that makes the OTL lures like touched on that and had a little bit of a laugh. Like, there's no way of even knowing that either. Like, after you've hooked a fish on a stick bait, could you say, man, he really liked that, whatever that colour was? Or it's yeah. like, did he? Or, yeah, exactly. and, <laughs> and then someone, you know, you could cast two lures at the same time, but one landed a little bit closer or like, yeah. Slapped a little bit different when it hit the water, or like you, ne- you'll never know, yeah, eh? So exactly, it's all sort of conjecture. You just like have you, th- and that's part of what's so fun about it, man. Yeah, is um, Jesus, how many stick baits have I got? You got a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's like with the whole fly fishing buzz as well. Like I see guys of like tubs and tub, well, you know, containers and containers of bloody all these different types of flies. They still go back to the same two or three. That catch fish all the time your basic ones as well a hundred percent man my my like yeah like you've got a, you've got a lot but a lot of them are that that, that color just different sizes yeah wait 155 same size. to 190 on the the dp's definitely work right that that's the one when i first saw uh, milan catching those big kingies out at me i messaged um old Hamish from NACL and was like yeah I'll have two of those <laughs> <laughs> he probably got a lot of messages like I bet you he did yeah that um, looks sick though like that's a mean 100% and it's a koei um, which is what we were using for liveies which is exactly what we were using for liveies and um, and what's funny about that is we when we rocked up hey Tim's mates were there mm. and they had been there all morning yeah Throwing the stickies around and and speed jinging as well. I hadn't even seen a fish. Yeah, and yeah. We, we rocked up and chucked a live out, and within like ten minutes, I was like, "Oh, I think that thing just got popped off the bloody hook." Put another one out, and then wham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thirty meters from them, and I'm railed over the side. <laughs> exactly. And another thing, man, is like, um, yeah, and and so and like Milan's using that 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 this big. He uses a, a bigger one than that too now, eh? Probably, yeah. yeah. A big Koei imitation at Mere where all the Koeys are, where like Koeys mm. are the best live baits there yeah. and it's got this popper face so it's making like more noise and excitement and like yeah. getting it happening. Um, And I have seen kingies, man, where um, I've seen kingies where they won't, eat a you, you can have a jack mackerel in front of them all day and they won't eat it yeah and the second you put a car wire on the right size they're fighting over it yeah and i've seen it the other way around <laughs> where you can have a car wire on uh, you generally if it's too big though too big <coughs> a car wire on all day and they won't eat it but the minute you put a jack mackerel in front of them they will eat it so they yeah. can be like super fussy and random yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, I just think trying to match the lure to what obviously to what's happening at the time. Match the hatch kind of thing, eh? Yeah. Yeah. But then yeah, I've I've only stuck to that size so far, but yeah, I need to definitely um get some smaller ones and even maybe some bigger ones. That's why I got that um that's why I got the Koei ones. I've also got somewhere like some real cool little mackerel imitations that are very similar to a Mackie. Yeah, maybe in here. <laughs> um, Apex. Yeah, these... these a- yeah, so that's a cool little 
they they swim all right, the little apex wobbler. Yeah. Um, the apex that I did have a bit of trouble with was a squid. Having said that, though, we were out, this is a couple of years ago before they closed Okapari Reef. We were at Okapari Reef and talking about kingfish eating squid. Yeah. Apparently kingfish just go nuts on squid sometimes. There was a heap of kingies out there one day. We caught one, I think. Um, but at one point we were sitting on the Minkota right on the pin of the reef and we had about a dozen massive kingies just like going round in circles in the burley and they wouldn't eat a livey, they wouldn't take a stick bait, they just wouldn't take anything. And I just kept changing through stick baits and sluggos and throwing everything at them and they just wouldn't eat. Um, and every time I threw that, that this apex squid imitation in, that was the only thing that they blast right up to it the second it hit the water. They just yeah. blast up to it, and I've seen kingies do it, and then like slam on the brakes, pull right up to it, almost touch it with their nose and just drift away. Oh, yeah. yeah, so there's something that they were obviously keen to eat a squid, Yeah, but they weren't keen to eat something that one. Something off on it, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's a cool lure, though. Yeah. I see, and like the colour scheme on that is pretty awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. It's pretty bloody realistic, but it doesn't swim very well. Having said that, for a squid imitation, it probably doesn't have to, as long as you can just sort of slowly. Yeah. What is it, injured sw- uh, squid swim like? <laughs> probably about like <laughs> that yeah. lure, which isn't that well. <laughs> um, I mean, because generally they're just like pumping and just going straight lines. Yeah. There, so. Yeah, and he's got the little skirt off the back of it, which is a good idea. Um. I th- yeah, I think half the the thing is with that and the squid imitation is, yeah, I wasn't. That's actually what the problem with that. I found it. I can't remember what it was doing wrong, but when I was trying to pump it, it was either I think it was trying to skim along the top or do something funny. Yeah, just wasn't like that's when I say the NACLs is what I've been really impressed with them. There's that real sort of cliche, real nice darting action of you know you see like on instagram like look how well the stick bait swims and they do that big zigzag dart yeah. when you give them a yank the nacls do that real easily like you cast them out yank it and it just does this wicked yeah, yeah um, I, haven't, I haven't flicked those ones yet i've only thrown this one a few times and like that swims just like you're describing they swim wicked yeah. the nomad ones yeah yeah so once i actually get into it um yeah, it'll be interesting to see Mm. The difference between them. I did, yeah. I was talking about how out at Mir the other day. That was the first time using the diving popper, and I was finding it a little yet to really. I was finding it hard to get it to pop out, grab a mouthful, and leave a trail. I was trying to swim. Yeah, and that it's called that a big kawai one you were using. Nah, the big the one before the that. big kawi. This this one. Oh, yeah. um. Yeah, I was finding it hard to get it to pop up and grab the bubble and pull the big bubble trail down. It was yeah. trying to swim under the surface with no trail. And I see he's got a new one that's like more buoyant. Mm. It doesn't surprise yeah, doesn't surprise me. I reckon yeah, that's more for that lower angle, I think, or something. Apparently. Like if you're in a boat and you're closer to the water. Oh yeah. Yeah. Apparently yeah. that's what it's so you're not like up on the rocks, which Yeah, I would have thought it would have been a little bit different. But apparently not. Because mm. I think it's what it's for if you're lower to the water. Yeah. Yeah. I'd 
Yeah, it's a good point. Maybe, and I sort of was trying to rod tip up a little bit to get it to grab. Yeah, I just I was having a little bit of trouble with that one. But um, pulling too fast? Did you try slowing down? Yeah, that's what you sort of had to do yeah. was do a real big pause and let it pop right. But it actually pop up and then drop back down. So you know it'd like bob up and then do that. Yeah. So and you had to time it because it'd bob up and then if you then if you pulled half a second too slow it'd be on its way back down again you had to really like stroke it Got pull, really it, pull it towards you wind up and then like right when it pops up then hit it right then you know I was, yeah yeah i found it was quite where the um wobblers they just do what you can just like wind them or you can do they just whatever yeah. they're doing they're looking good yeah i found that with with the riptide one you had to like you say when that nose popped up and when you go to sweep you had to start slightly slower to, like, I guess just pull that nose down before you actually gave it a bit of a pull, and that would get it to wobble under the surface slightly. But yep. if you just try to yank it straight away when the nose is up, it would just lift the body out and, it's and skim. just skip. Yeah. And then just get looped over as well and just loop the hook over your and line. And tangle yeah. up in that, yeah. Yeah, you'll <laughs> probably find that sort of thing is probably what something like the NACL. When I first started using them after using... Riptides and that, I was like, yeah, these are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it depends on whether you're doing it on the back of a wave or if it's on the front of a wave too, eh? Like there's, you just go, you just got to try and time it as well when you're trying to pull it. I heard some, I think it was Milan talking about that possibly. Like 100%. Try and pull them when they're on the front of the wave because obviously you've got no water in front of you. Yeah. And you're just going to pull them straight out. Yeah. Yeah, depending on the conditions, eh? Mm. It's going to be faster or easier. Where's your rod? We've got quite a bit of gear laying around in the studio today. We've got guns and bloody rods and lures and shit everywhere. I'll have to smash it into anything. So, yeah, just picked that up from hunting and fishing um, a month or so ago, I think. Mm. Yeah. What's the... Because there's a fondle. So that's the... Shit, what's this? Oh, that's your bloody lure rat. Yeah, yeah. I find that thing's a little bit weird, eh, because it's, cause it's so long. It's hard to try and like get an even pull and stretch on the bloody thing to wrap it around the lure. Yeah, but yeah, obviously once you do it, wraps that whole lure down. They so are a little so the hooks. You know, yeah, you can fully wrap those hooks up. So they're not. Yeah, they are. Them. I know what you mean. You can yeah. never quite wrap the lure exactly the way it's, you want. It's but not like when it's a thinner one, you just like just pull that one position mm. you've got that much to try and like stretch. Yeah, yeah. No, they are a bit yeah. like that. They are bloody good though. You're, yeah, you're a bit screwed. Like it's. Yeah, a stick, a rigged up stick bait rod is a, a bit of a weapon of carnage yeah. without a good lure wrap. Eh? Even if you just go to grab your rod, eh? Like you've got those freaking giant sharp ass hooks, bloody dangling around. Yeah, and the and um, if your your rod's just in the rod holder and you're motoring from spot to spot, like the lure's just beating the shit yeah. out of your rod, eh? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, you know the old lure just slapping around. I've seen it on a few guys. Things like there's just this massive arch here. Like chewed out stuff. I was like, "What's that from?" It's from like the hook. Yeah, hundred percent. Doing a big rattling half circle. Yeah. On it. You can't really avoid it either, eh? No. If you're a couple of my older um, riptides are like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So what's this? The the new um, BG H is it HQ BG MQ eighteen thousand 
Oh, that's that's pretty silky. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's about twenty two kilo drag. I think. Yeah, that's real smooth. Um, Eighty pound braid, hundred and ten pound leader. I think. Yep. Yeah, it's nice, eh? It'll be nicer when that's screaming out the other way. It will be, and you're like panicking, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> leaning back on it, panicking. Because I'll probably be in the tacker kit, most likely, and hanging over the side. It's not fun until you're like stressing out a yeah. little bit. How long's that rod? Pretty sure it's just an eight foot. Yep. Pretty much exactly the same. I just got the old snap bone. What did that um, set you back? Um. I think it was about seven fifty to eight hundred. I think. Yeah. Not too bad. Eh? That's a good nah. bloody starting point, though. That'll be a that beast. Was, that was all of that. I think I got two bits, um, two different size leaders, um, and the three poppers. I think. Yeah. And I think it was pretty much on a thousand bucks. I think. Yeah. Yeah, eighty pound man. I reckon like. Especially um, stick baits and light, you know, running liveys, yeah, and, and I'll be around like rocks most of the time. Around some foul, sort of, some sort of structure. Um, yeah, and you're really always like hoping to catch a monster, you know, like yeah. some sometimes in the harbour, you you um. More expecting it to be a bit smaller, you know, but you're not expecting like a 30 kilo fish. But then every now and again, there is a freaking donkey be. in there yeah. too, you know. So it's a bit like a gun thing. It's like, yeah, two, four, threes are nice, but you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> then when it's, yeah, then when you get a big ass red stag like quartering away and he's just walking, you're like, man, a 306 is looking pretty good yeah, right yeah. now. Like, <laughs> that's sort of what the 80, yeah. 80 pound versus 50 pound is for me. Yeah, yeah. I got a 50 pound set up and it is nicer to use. It's always tempting to, oh, to use this, you know, but. Um, if you were out in the open over sand and Kingy's just happened to pop up smashing a school or something, you'd mm. probably be all right. But. And also, too, probably like a solid 70% of the time, 50 is enough. Yeah. Maybe even more, like 50 is enough, even for big fish. And, and um, I've caught a couple of pretty decent fish on 50 pound. Um, but yeah, it's quite a bit more, eh? Like eight, 50 to 80, it's like 50% more. Yeah. Um, and it, once you get used to using the two different setups, you pick up the 80 and you hook something big on it, it's, it's a very different way, gruntier f- setup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you see um, like Nathan, and then when they're catching some, eh, and Nathan's always laughing at me because he's on the fifty. So yeah, you should have that big bloody salty all the time, doing? eh? Where's the PE ten? And he gets dusted, <laughs> and he just he just freaking loves it. That happens so often on on their videos, eh? Yeah, Milan must just like using this smaller gear, and it is nicer to use. Yeah. Um, yeah, NATO's always like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, you hooked it. Oh, no, what are you doing? That's in the harbour too, eh? And like, I'm pretty sure he got, he caught like a 30 kigger in there, didn't he? he they get some mm. big buggers in the harbour too, So they too, are there, man. so yeah, yeah. When that opportunity arises, you probably want the good gear on. Yeah. 
we get some good ones in the harbour at this end, but I and, and I mean, and they go hard too, and they're bloody good fishermen. But yeah. um, I am wondering if if it maybe is a bit better for the big dogs at that end. But I don't know. Maybe they're just really good at digging them up, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's the old Saragossa. It's just been serviced. Um, there's a guy here. Vin, uh, Jason at Vintage Bait Runner Revival, we service his reels. And, um, yeah, it's been interesting, eh? Like, uh, oh, yeah, because these don't have that. Does does your big one have that, like, when you t- give it half a wine, it clicks it over? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think the big a lot of the big gear nah. doesn't. Because um, sometimes they, yeah, they can be a bit weird. Eh? Yeah, I think the smaller ones do that, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I remember him saying something about it. Oh, I don't really like that anyway, and something about the way the mechanism and the way it works. It seems like it's. I think most people just end up probably just flicking that anyway, just muscle memory, I guess. Yeah, I use it a lot, man. On this, that's a, this is a um, pen slammer forty five hundred, and I've got thirty pound braid on that, basically fifteen kg setup. Um, and you know I've come from using big sixty five hundred bait runners, yeah, which are fifteen kilo, so the same amount of drag, same weight line, but this is like a third half the size, half <laughs> the size yeah, <laughs> way smoother, real light and stuff. Um, yeah. But I've been stray lining with this and for snapper in the mussel farms, and usually you'd stray line, I guess traditionally with a bait runner. Yeah, or a overhead, you know, overhead rear one, and you're just like thumbing it out, yeah. getting a thumb out naturally. Um, it's actually m- much like you. Th- so this is just like a big soft bait setup. Really, mm. I've got it on a nice little light stiff rod, um, and I've been using that because the pens have a real nice half a wind that clicks yeah. over quite nicely, and yeah, just stray lining down the burly cube with a little quarter ounce sinker or no sinker, and um, Coloured braid on. It's exactly like when you're soft baiting and you watch your braid go out and you see the braid speed up. Yeah, yeah, just doing that and then just watching it go out and then half a click and hit it. Yeah, um, freaking nice little setup. Yeah, I was gonna get one of those on, on that. Um, yeah, just looked at a heap of YouTube stuff and just comparisons and stuff. And there's a, they're much of a match really. Like between them, there might be like little pros and cons here and there, but. At the end of the like review between three reels, I think it was that the BG and a oh it might have been their um Saragossa, I think it's kind of like, oh you know this one's got that this one doesn't and this one does and that one doesn't he's like end of the day they're all going to do the same job they're all going to be fine you're going to be happy with either one you choose mm. <laughs> I was just oh well um, one thing I would say, one thing to consider um, is like getting it serviced and even yeah. um, getting like a pre-service on it, especially with the pens and diwas and stuff. Um, I've wrecked a couple of pens pretty quickly, um, just them gut drying out and getting like yeah. a rumbly bearing and then I take them in for a service. He's like, nah, man, that's screwed, you know. Yeah. My only pen I've ever had was this, oh, probably like a 2500 or something in there that was like lasting me like a couple of months, I think, and it yeah. was just toast. Yeah, that's crazy, eh? Mm. And um, I actually want to get Jason on the podcast if you'll come on because he, he's been servicing reels for 40 years, man. Yeah. And it's crazy. Every time I drop off a reel or pick up a reel, 
we have a big yarn about my one and he goes off about, oh, it's just the way they've got, and he knows all the different materials of the different bearings and the different, all the, he just goes to town like talking about reels. Um, and he'll be working on another one, you know, some old overhead and he's like explaining all the different parts and that and all the little downfalls of yeah. each different reel and the way they're put together and all the stuff. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, but he said with the pens, that pens are made, let's see, what does that say? Yeah, made in Malaysia. He's always going on about how um, Shimano's made in Malaysia and pens are made in China, or at least in, I think the old school pens were made in USA. Oh, yeah. And new pens are made in China. I, th I think that's true. That's what he said, has told me anyway, over and over. And... Um, he said there are there is things that he really likes about pen and the way they're built and some of the materials are really good. He says the huge downfall of them is the way they're greased yeah. and put together and that they put them together with the inside of the housing dry, um, whereas the Shimano's have a different coating on the inside of the metal of the casing and a few of the parts. And they've also been lined. Like imagine if just before you put it together, you like just gave it a little spray yeah, so it's yeah. not just dry steel. Yeah. He said there's a lot of dry steel in the pens from new and minimal amount of grease on some parts. Like, And it's funny because when you pick up a brand new <laughs> pen, and he said actually – he said Shimano's are the best for the way they're greased up and lined and put together. Yeah. And they tend to last pretty freaking well too. Um, like I had, I've had that Saragossa for like three seasons and it's been on the jet ski and all, I've used it a lot. And he just serviced that. He pulled it apart. He said, no, look, mint, cleaned it up, greased yeah. it up, put it back together, sweet. And I've had pen stuff out in like six months. Mm-hmm. And taking them into him, and he's pulled them apart. He's like, "Nah, it's bugged, man. That bit there is just a big <laughs> chunk off that, and it's just yeah. Um, and it's more to buy the parts than it is to get a new reel, yeah. sort of thing. Um, but the big so he does a um pre-user service, so brand new reel, pulls it apart, cleans all the shitty cheap grease that they put in them off. Um, greases everything properly puts sprays I can't remember he's explicit why I want to get him on the podcast because yeah, he yeah. just goes nuts on you can't get away he's telling <laughs> you about real stuff you know Um, you get stuck there you know but I've, like I said I've learned so much off him and yeah he does it he can do it and so a pen that whole thing how a pen might shit itself in six months if he pulls it apart and greases everything properly aligns it'll probably totally different thing yeah yeah it said the big downfall is just that, that they don't lube them properly. Yeah. But another interesting thing on that is because they've got bugger all in them, Yeah. when you pick them up in a shop, they're real free-moving yeah. and they feel real smooth. And that's the first thing people will do when they pick a real Exactly, <laughs> man. This <laughs> heat, see how fast it'll go. The Saragossa wasn't anywhere near, and these have a real nice click over the bail arm clicks over real yeah. nice in that and he jason was saying something oh, i don't like that because the way that that they have to change the way they make this and then that hits on that and he didn't like it no. so 
and and a Sarah Grace, you pick it up in the shop, it doesn't feel quite as nice. And he's just serviced this, and it's full of grease, so it's it's not quite as smooth, and and it doesn't yeah, turn not, as. But like, do you really notice that when nah. you're like, hey, when you're fighting a fish, it's not like you expect to like just flick that and expect it to keep winding the fish in. You don't even, <laughs> as soon as you've got the rod in your hand and a two hundred gram lure on the end, you don't even feel it nah. when you're fishing it. So I don't know. It's like. You could. It's almost the picture I'm getting is like maybe the Shimano, and this Shimano does. I've got a fifty pound pen. This Shimano doesn't feel as nice, yeah. and it doesn't have the auto click over and stuff like that. Um, but it's lasted like crazy, yeah, and it's yeah. a tank. It's a beast. Yeah. Um, whereas the pens feel real nice when you pick them up, but they flog out real quick. But so I'm hoping. I picked um, that one up earlier and it felt like you can almost feel the cog in it already when you're actually whining. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I've had this for a while and I think, what have I done here? I've bloody, I've got the trace all up under the... It feels like you can feel that main gear in this. when you turn it, yeah, just ever so slightly. Yeah, it's maybe got a little bit of wear already. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happens. I've got a little pin soft bait that started feeling... Sketchy. I think that's what happened to my pen, actually. It started to strip that main gear. You can just, yeah, and that's what it is, man. And, yeah, he's got them all in bits, and he's like, show me, see this, how that's made out of that, and this, yeah. and, like... Because there's, like, three different types of metal, I think, they make, like, the pinion gears and stuff from, eh? See this yeah. Stainless something else, and, um... Oh, and the brass or something, I think, mm. is one of them. And I think it was the pens that he was saying, yeah, that he does actually like some things about them. But mm. that's yeah. like all reels, though. Eh? There's some, like I was saying, all the reviews I looked at, there was one thing that the dude didn't like about every single reel. And there was a few positives about every single reel. So it was just. Mm. You know, and he was talking about that whole thing where you spin the, the handle and it keeps going. They're ones that usually aren't like mag sealed or anything. So that they don't have all those rubber seals trying to keep the water out. Yep. Which is holding everything that little bit tighter. So it's not necessarily a good thing that you can spin that handle and it just carries on going because it's probably not going to seal the water out yep. very well. Yeah. So you sacrifice, because I think your Saragossa is mag sealed, eh? I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Where's the mag seal? What's that? So the seal's on, like, if you pulled the... Um, spool off. Yeah, the spool off, where that... Spine is going down inside. There's like a, um, oh, there's yep. a rubber seal there. <coughs> yeah, they're just all over it. Yeah, anywhere basically where it's penetrating into the inside. But it's basically that's the main one. I think is on the top there. Yeah, when you pull that spool off. Jason talks about that a lot too. That uh, oh, and around the handle, and all of them have pretty much taken off that anti or that reverse click lever that's usually on the front. Oh, yeah. That's usually yeah, on there, yeah. yeah. Because all that does pretty much, like, who uses that? No one, ever. And, like, what is it there for? It just <laughs> yeah. lets water in, so. Yeah. Pretty much everyone's gone away from that. That was one big thing that came up on when I was researching reels. One thing Jason said, and it, it's only one guy's opinion, you know, and mm. I don't know if he's a billion percent right about everything. I'm sure he's not. But um, he said uh, it doesn't, on an egg beater, it doesn't matter how well a reel's sealed up. He said, and he, he was saying about how it cracks them up, how they all go on about the ceiling, this and that. And yeah. 
because um, they've all got that there and that that mist and spray can go up and hit something else and come back down or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So that it's actually impossible because he always goes on about like in here is all f- full of salt eventually because oh, yeah. it goes and you've got it well, like those a, break. See, my the one with mine is it's got just uh, around the handle. There's just uh, the whole piece that pulls off rather than the yours has got screws either side, eh? So that whole th- yeah, pull each side apart. Mine's just that bit there. So that whole thing is apparent in one piece. Oh, yeah. There's no screws that. You've actually got to have a special tool to take that off yeah. and service them. Yeah. But I think oh, it's a little bit to do with waterproofing and it's also to do with a bit of strength as well. Yeah. Because it doesn't have those two points to like freaking pivot on. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I, I, I wanna get them. Actually, I'd even... Because you could do it, I definitely want to do a podcast with them, but I even want to like do a couple of videos with them, even get them in studio, just do like a, and Break actually with a down. couple of reels pulled apart and mm. get them to go over that whole thing of water going up in there and down and in. Because I had this thing in my head that, because they always go on about that sealing and this and that and the other. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's actually sealed. But he, but then he's always putting posts up on his Facebook about like all the salt damage inside a reel. And he says it goes straight up through that gap there. Hits the top of then goes, it gets down some way or other anyway. I don't know. This is why I want to yeah. get him on the podcast. He keeps going on. What about is the that. hardest thing to keep out of somewhere though? Like, I wouldn't, it's like being a roofer. You got the yeah. hardest job, I reckon, because you're trying to keep all that weather out from yeah. someone's house. High, real high pressure at job, eh? Like, oh, yeah. Water yeah. can just uh, can go anywhere, man, and mm. from not much either. Yeah. So yeah, to keep something like that, trying to keep that water tight, mm. mission impossible. He just kept going on about that about for people that are listening. The when you turn a egg beater reel, what's this part? The part with the bail arm on it that's spinning. Oh, the rotor. The rotor. Yeah. There's a gap between the rotor and the main. Obviously, because that's the part that spins. You know, like it. You can't. <laughs> you can't seal that up because that's how this the reel spins. This, this guy that services real says that water goes up in there and um, I have been thinking about it like um, he said the worst is when rods are in the rod holder on a boat you know like a rod holder on the in the gunnel of a boat and the spray's kicking up the side of the boat and it's just punching yeah. salt spray up inside your reel um, and jet skis. Jet skis are brutal. That's where the ceiling usually is. Like that's, that's when you think about it. Like the water can just track straight down there because it's going, yeah, just up and down the whole time. So that's where they've got the main mag seal. I think is in there. Yeah. Okay. So that seals there is really important. Yeah, I see what you mean. So it can go up in that gap, get up under there, and like underneath. Yeah. Where that is. Yeah. The next seal of that down. Yeah. So he just says like in. Because different reels always come out with new marketing and it's IPX8 and then IPX4, you know, well, 12. it's only the, the pen that put that on them, isn't it? 
Yeah, what I'm is pretty that? sure that was in one of the reviews. Yeah, too, IPX six. I think the new ones are, is IPX. Is that like a sealant rating it's, or something? Yeah, is yeah, it like your waterproof rating? Yeah, yeah. So they kept, but that's all of the seals. But he said it doesn't matter how sealed you get everything else. It's that gap. You always got yeah. that gap there. And I, but I don't know what's up inside, like next layer of that. Um, to get take no. that off, you have to start undoing screws and lift yeah. the whole rotor off, eh? Um, but that's what I mean. Yeah, so you have to take those screws off. And, yeah, it, mm. it, all is fun because he, he did a little soft bait pen reel of mine that started getting a bit rumbly, and he said one, I think it was one of those three screws was seized and he couldn't get it out. Oh, yeah. And he said, oh, he doesn't know why, but on the pens it's always... Only one of three. Yeah. He said, you'll always get two out, but one's always... <laughs> and he's like, do they not put... Or do they put Loctite on one? Yeah, yeah. Or what's going on? Like, it's... <laughs> I just find, found it so interesting. There is always one that's a problem in anything you try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like trouble bolts or nuts out of anything, there's always one. Yeah. You're like, man, this is all coming off so easy. Mm. Yeah, well, wait. wait it's the last it, one. It's <laughs> the last one. Usually. 100%. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it rem I'll tell you what it reminds me of, man. Is um, I remember doing a chainsaw course years ago, and there's all it's sort of like a Ford Holden thing. There's always been yeah. a um, husk, still Husqvarna thing. Yeah. And I said to this guy, and, and uh, I think it, he might have got introduced at the start of the guy that was running the chainsaw course, you know, and or he might have introduced himself and said, oh, "I've been, you know, cutting trees down for forty-two years or something." You're some old leads, you know. Yeah. And um, he knew his shit too. It was really good. And he was explaining all this stuff and chainsaws and that. And um, someone said, oh, what do you, oh, I think he said, has anyone got any questions? And someone straight away just said, oh, what do you, what's the best? Still a Husqvarna. <laughs> and um, he had a really good answer. Actually, he said, um, I'm pretty sure it was this way around. He said, if you're buying the chainsaw for someone else, buy a still. So if you're like running a business, buying chainsaws buy a still if someone else is using it yeah. because they last the best if someone else is paying for it for you you want a Husqvarna because they're nicer to use but they don't last as well oh. and that I don't know you know you could that on the pens uh, I've had pens stuff out but I really like the way they feel when they're brand new and they're yeah. real smooth and the bar alarm clicks over real nice and they feel real nice yeah um the saragosa arguably doesn't feel quite as nice but it's just a beast yeah so the it's like the still said that to me in hunting and fishing too when i went in i was like oh i'm kind of up in the up in the air a little bit i kind of like the die was because i've got a saltist on my little soft bay rod and i said that's been like my best reel so i kind of want to stick with the dial um but then i've heard pretty good things about those um the pens as well the slammers he's like well so like, are you hard on your gear? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm pretty good with these. I like, go with the dial with them for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just need a little bit of care taken and they'll they'll do all right, whereas maybe the slammer can put up with more shit. I don't know. But then, Well, what Jason said to me. Not from what I've experienced with my other pen. <laughs> what Jason said was about the lube and who how they're put together. I said, oh, so what's the, you know, and Sarah goes through a made in Malaysia and he said, you know, in his experience of doing it for 40 bloody years, that Saragossa, their 
pre-treatments the best, how they grease them up and put and their materials are quite good too. Yeah. Penn has a couple of spots that he likes the way they set them up materials wise, but they got a few other spots he said it's just shit house, really shit metal. Yeah. So um, I suppose it depends on everyone's probably got their negatives, but which negative is the worst, maybe yeah, yeah, like Yeah. But hey, and then I said, Oh yeah, so what and and I said, oh, what about Daiwa? And we were talking about the greasing thing and how it's put together. He said, Daiwa's the worst. Oh, yeah. He said, it's Daiwa, <laughs> Pen, Shimano. That's on, like, when he's doing uh, pre-user service. Yeah. He's like, he. <laughs> that's what he said. He reckoned Daiwa were the worst. <laughs> um, it's 40 but Like, so I would reckon, oh, yeah, I, if I were you, I'm, all my new reels, I'm take, drop them straight off to him, forty yeah. bucks, and he does a pre-user service, sprays all the mint stuff through them, and gets them all greased up, real good, good to go. And he pulls those three bolts out. That one always gets stuck and grease, greases all the little screws and stuff. Yeah, that sometimes they'll get seized in. Yeah, and then get them serviced every twelve months. Yeah, and they'll last for years, you know, oh, ages yeah. and ages. But if you don't, they can be buggered quite quick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you see, the bigger ones will put up with a bit more shit though than the than the smaller ones. Potentially, I'm not sure. They seem yeah. to. My the reels that I've been chewing through have been little soft bait yeah. reels. Well, I mean, that's pretty much all. Mm. <laughs> all I've been using really. So, and you said you've got a diver that's last that's lasted yeah, really the well. Saltus, yeah, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing that's a bit noisy on it is the roller on the bail arm. Oh, yeah. Um, you probably would have heard that the other day actually it was a bit noisy but um, yeah other than that because they don't use a is it a bearing or it might be a bearing but yeah they're so freaking small yeah um, is there a bearing in there or is it on a bush nah it might be the bushing actually yeah but phew, it's not that big a deal how, how long have you had it oh probably like four or five plus years Do you, have you had it serviced no nah, never done a thing to it and yeah. it's always on the tack cat so it's usually on the rocket launcher at the back which gets a little bit Spray usually every now and again. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good ad for. Uh, mm. Is the saltest? Is that the more upper it's end? It's kind of the step above, I think, on the BG. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty. That's the one below the um. Saltiga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and having said that too, the reels that I've had crapping out are the cheaper. Like it's Pen yeah. and Shimano, and having yeah. said all that. I think one of them that shitted out was a Shimano too. Yeah. Oh, all of my Shimanos have crapped themselves pretty fast, but they're probably like under two hundred dollar reels. I think most same. Of them. I think that Saltus was maybe like three fifty, four hundred. Yeah, possibly something like that. It was definitely a little bit more. That's what I've just done. I've just I just went through two or three like hundred and seventy dollar setups, yeah. sort of thing, like hundred and seventy dollar combos, um, and I just spent about. Yeah, three eighty or four twenty or something on one, like a bit, bit better Shimano one. So we'll on see. a combo or just the real, the combo. I think. Yeah. See the com- like rods. I don't know. Like I never have any issues with nah. rods. <laughs> it's always reels. Yeah. You can buy a cheap rod and it'll still be fine. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, to a certain extent, I guess. But mm. the only problem I've ever had with rods was, um, oh, actually the. I have had problems. The only problems I've had with rods is with really light graphite style rods and some relatively, not real, super high end. Um, But yeah, sort of thinking, like using 
the old school, not full fiberglass rod, but more of a glass style. I don't know what you call them. Like something like this. And, and again, this is where I get into trouble on this because I'm no bloody expert, but like, um, I don't know, just like a normal rod. You know how you get the new real graphite style rod? Yeah. And it's graphite. I don't even know what mine's made. <laughs> yeah, you do. You get a full-on graphite rod and you get one. It's not just straight fiberglass, like a real old-school fiberglass rod, but it's got more glass in it. And this is where I get, get um, where it would be cool to get an expert in to talk, explain it. But um, it's more of a fiberglass graphite mix. The rod's got more glass in it. Yeah. Um, more like like I've got a little soft bait rod that's a real graphite style, super light and quite stiff and whippy, and then I've got like a Veritar, uh, Abu Garcia Veritar rod, which is, has graphite in it too. I think might be wrong about that, but it's a glass fiberglass composite something blah blah. Three other big words like yeah. whatever it is. Um, I remember back in the day like surf casting using more of an old school glass style rod the the modern but old school modern of a heavier surf casting rod and then um going in to buy a new surf caster one time like deciding i've got too much money i'll go buy a flasher rod <laughs> even though my old one was good as gold and buy, and see, picking up like this new f flash was being like super light graphite graphite surf caster yeah and using that... So they're and, stiffer than the fiberglass? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, stiffer and really light. It's a different style of stiffness, eh? Like, so the old jelly tip rods were obviously the fiberglass then. That style, like, man. Yeah. That style, yeah. That's what I was brought up on, the real bendy bloody jelly tip. Yeah, rod. exactly. <laughs> exactly that, man. Yeah. And then they started, yeah... And then it, for a while, as they got a bit flash, probably this backbone is probably a pretty good representation of what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. I think there is graphite in it, but it's a little bit thicker, a little bit heavier, a little bit floppier. And same, that's why I brought a heap of those Veritar rods because they're that, it's almost like it's got more of a, a glass composite to it. It's more like leaning that, it's like 10% jelly tip. Yeah. you know, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, but when I first started getting those flash, real light flash graphite surf casts, I snapped a couple of those, just yeah. casting it, just giving it the oh, big yeah. whip and boff, they just blow to bits. Yeah. But I think, too, that is like graphite's a real bitch for you get the tiniest nick in it. Yeah. Like you've been using them on the rocks and that and you've put them down on the rocks when you've landed a big snapper and, yeah. you know, those old glass rods, you could sort of beat them up a bit more. Yeah. And they're okay, but graphite, those real light graphite ones, you get the tiniest nick in them. And yeah. Remember when I blew? Yeah. <laughs> just trying to pull your stick bait off the rocks. <laughs> and it just, boff, just snapped that. That was, a, that was a pen. That was a real nice, light, whippy graphite style rod. Cheaper combo for sure. Yeah. You were giving it a fair bit of. Yeah, Whack I was. Trying to flick that. Yeah, and I was hitting it too, <laughs> yeah. not just smooth loading up. I was like yeah. banging it, but I just didn't think it should be anywhere near what would snap it. Yeah. Was yeah. that your 50 pound yep. setup? Yeah. And I've done that same with how I've, and, and I use a big Veritar 14 foot surf caster now. 
and that cast good and it's I don't know it's just that old school rod I just feel like they're a little bit more yeah. resilient um, and I've seen that in like you know rod shops and that where the guys are know what they're talking about and they yeah no they are a little bit they can take a bit more knocking around you know yeah I think there's something to it um, and like when I was snapping those graphite ones casting the they replaced the first one on warranty I think they replaced they wanted to replace the second one too but I was like well it's all it's cool getting it replaced but it's no good to you when you're like down on the beach and your rod's snapped yeah it sort of ends the trip you know yeah yeah <laughs> Unless you got a spear. <laughs> I always take a spear trout fishing because the fly rods are pretty delicate. One little mistake, eh? And oh, you get that tungsten bead slap in the back of your rod or, yeah, just even like letting it fall over and accidentally stepping on it. Yeah. See, and that, that any little thing like that, like the old stick bait, um... You know, against the that graphite that pen that I broke might have been a stick bait against it in the rod holder, and maybe I didn't put my lure wrap Probably one day the, and the hook maybe even though just rubbing it. That's it. Yeah, the tip even with the wrap on. Yeah, and, they and could come. still. I actually thought about that when I first put that on. I was like, man, but that thing still be like just in there rattling on it. But they actually they wrap up pretty good though. I think I saw, like I actually I shook it and kind of. You couldn't hear anything anyway. You couldn't hear anything loose inside there, but yeah, I can't remember where I saw it, but I'm pretty sure I saw a flash lure wrap, something like in a YouTube video or something. Someone wrapping up the, you know, they were just talking and they were like doing it here, although, and I just noticed it in the background, like yeah. it was a lure wrap that it, did, it like went around the rod or it went all the way around the lure, yeah, and then around and then the around, rod yeah, sort yeah. of thing. So it. it Put a layer yeah. between the rod That's and what the. That's Could you just do that wrap around that? Yeah. Hey. That, so you're just wrapping your lure, just putting a buffer between the two. Yeah, like the this this rod wrap you got here, mm. just this basic catch one. I have got about four of these. Yeah, yeah, that's just you're just wrapping your lure hard against your rod. Yeah, yeah. So which, if you just wrap that straight around there, then nothing. You know, it's that touching the rod. Instead of, oh. instead of squeezing that against it. Yeah, so instead of wrapping the lure and the rod, yeah, just wrap, just wrap the, the lure. lure. That's probably what you meant to do, and I'm <laughs> using them totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which would, is pr- probably quite on the cards that I've just been screwing it up. I kind of did think about it when I wrapped it. I was like, well, you're kind of just like smushing that lure back against the rod. So if there yep. is any like movement, it's just going to be chafing it anyway. That's, that's what it is. And there's heaps of people that actually know what they're talking about when it comes to fishing, listening to this laughing their yeah, ass off going, right oh, now. These dumbasses. <laughs> that's what happens when a hunter starts yeah, fishing. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it still obviously works to a certain degree anyway. Because yeah. those hooks aren't just jangling around, ripping everything up, or any actual. Your actual bait as well. Um, yeah, see, because if you've got that hooked on your little catch thing, so that hook's not going to be doing anything. Yeah, but nah, I it wouldn't. It still wouldn't work properly because um, there's two reasons to use a lure wrap, and what I think wrapping it to the rod's important because, um, and that's probably why I was doing it like that because. Um, with a big stick bait, jigs are shockers for it, like a big 400-gram yeah, yeah. lead jig. 
Um, and actually, even a, a like slow jig's a shocker for it too, like an 80 gram slow jig on a light snapper yeah. setup. Um, it's not only stopping it from smacking against the rod, but the weight of the lure, and even with it hooked in the eye, the weight of the lure, even if you do the slack up real tight, yeah, it can and still. If the rod tip bends down and the lure unhooks, yeah. and then you've got a lure swinging around. So if you had that wrapped. Yeah. I get that all the time on the back of the tech cab with the softies. You just hook them up. You're moving spots or whatever. And you're driving along. You look back and there's a bloody soft bait freaking lure hanging out everywhere. And if the hook's sticking out the bottom enough to hook on, now you've got a 200 gram stick yeah, bait yeah, swinging yeah. around with a hook hanging out of it. So I think you do need to. Yeah. I pro- I'm probably using them right. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's sweet the way you would. You were doing it. Um, but a lure wrap like that would be better, though. All bullshit aside. And I'm pretty... I think that might have been on, like, Briggsy Sport Fishing or Timmy Turtle or something like that. I was was watching... Um, I think it was on Briggsy's channel. And they... Um, they bloody... Went out to this island off Aussie and anchored their mates big, this big, like, three, four hundred grand, massive big fiberglass centre console right off the beach while they were camping. And they woke up in the morning, (laughs) and there's just the T-top sticking out of the water. (laughs) And they were way off the coast, man. And so it was this whole drama, you know. And... um, but I remember them talking about like getting their rods picked up. It was only oh they might they might have they probably had shitloads of rods. But um I, I just know that some of those boys run some pretty pricey rods. Like you're talking a two grand rod or something like that. So that's probably why they that's when you I'm running a backbone Shimano yeah. backbone. <laughs> I don't know, I can't remember what this rod's worth. Probably a couple hundred bucks. Or two so, or three hundred yeah. bucks, I think. I think yeah the eighty pound ones get up there a bit. But yeah, two or three hundred bucks. You could spend two grand on a rod, eh? Yeah, well, the um, those top end die was a at least two k, aren't they? I think that's gnarly, eh? And made once of, you get into the bigger ones, yeah. Made of mine, Dave Earl's got like a I can't remember if it was a top end die. It might have been like some Japanese thing or something. It was a really expensive rod, yeah, took a couple of grand or something, fifteen hundred or two grand, and um, he snapped it on a fish. Oh yeah, bugger. Yeah, when I was in there looking at this, there was a, a Saltiga setup. It was um, a 50-pound setup, though, and I think that was, like, basically 1500 bucks for the reel, 1500 for the rod. Yeah. Down to, like, two eight, I think, or something. I was like, Probably should I? <laughs> definitely be awesome. Like, uh, good rods are definitely... Oh, I, yeah. I spent... I've got a... I've, I've got one really good game rod setup that I'm going to use for, like, live baiting for Marlin. Yeah. And um, I was like, on that, I'm not going to, you know, get a really good one. Yeah, I mean, how often do you hook Marlin, eh? Yeah. So you don't exactly you want it to, to give yourself the best odds of landing it. Yeah, it's a big fish too, eh? And, and also potentially use that setup for, um, like, swordfish and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I've seen, well, I remember when Dave got his real flash rod, and I remember thinking, man, they must be, like, impossible to snap. And then he was like, Snap my rod. <laughs> um, and I remember actually, it was actually on the Enchanter. Yeah. Um, I remember 
like if you do something right, even if it doesn't matter how expensive the ride is, if you high stick the shit out of it, oh, yeah. you're still snapping, you know. Um, on the Enchanter years ago, um, I actually had it on video. Um, and mates like you know, and they were like pretty party trips, those trips, and so we were sort of all <laughs> on the piss and that. And um, a mate's just leaning back on this kingy on a jig rod, high sticking the shit out of it, and um, it snapped. He snapped the rod, like slow mode it in the video, and he's like leaning right back, and in the slow mo. He's actually got the butt of the rod like up here onto his chest. It's like vertical, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, the line, the rod snapped, and the line snapped when the rod snapped, and it like ping. There's this big ping from the rod like bouncing off the stainless rail, and um, yeah, I remember Lance saying that's a bloody like really expensive <laughs> jig rod that like one a wealthy client had left on the boat you yeah, know oh sometimes yeah. they do that they can't like, like travel overseas and do a charter and leave all their rods behind yeah um yeah so it doesn't matter how bloody expensive they are if you're nah. silly with them you break them yeah can only handle so much eh? and in my experience here yeah, like you said before the cheap ones if you're not silly with them they tend to yeah. go all right like i've never i snapped one it was a pretty sure it's a shimano katana um, snapped that but yeah I was being a bit silly too I was in the kayak I think at the time fishing and was trying to land a kawa and just pulled up too much and then it tried to take off and just loaded up too much and ping yeah but apart from that yeah I pretty much never had any dramas with rods really if anything like I was saying before I've had it the opposite when I've like brought expensive like real like graphite rods and I've snapped the bloody things yeah and gone back to like a cheaper more glass style rod not because it's nicer those graphite rods are really nice, but yeah, I've had a better run out of them. But it's yeah, I'm definitely no expert by any means. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like about fishing, man. Is it's like just fun, and I don't have to take it super seriously. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, also if you don't have um, hard out drag on as well, you're never really going to snap rods, eh? Yeah, and that's what I like about the eighty pound. Yeah, just because you use an 80-pound doesn't mean you have to... Just because it's an 80-pound rod doesn't mean you have to have the drag... You have nah. to have 20 kilos of drag on the bloody thing either, no, you exactly. know? you can. Yeah, I was asking my mate about it when I was um, yeah, sort of looking into it, and he was like... I said, oh, you know, this rod's got like 20-odd kilos of drag. He's like, oh, you'll probably only ever use like 15 max. If max, that. yeah. Like, because you're going to be putting that much hurt on it. Yes, yeah, it's just not... Something's going to give. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's the shock thing too. Like, um, yeah. yeah, it's not – you can have seven kilos of drag, but a fish can put – can create 20 kilos of pressure off seven kilos of drag by like – Yeah. You know, you, um, that real fast shock snap. Yeah. Yeah. That's apparently how um, marlin break you off a lot, like, a big stroke and it'd even be, if, yeah it'd be those head shakes eh? surely yeah it's like um velocity yeah like it doesn't especially when you're on braid yeah when when you're on braid no and you've got um the other one with marlin apparently is um drag on the water so if you've got oh, yeah. 300 liters of meters of line yeah. out and that fish is hauling ass yeah you might only have five kilos of drag at your end but it's pulling 
on the fish's mouth with 300 litres metres of line out and a big bow with it yeah. hauling ass that way while the boat's going, you know, it's it's pulling way more. Apparently, yeah, you got to be real careful. you got to back the, as you get more line out, you like back the drag off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that even trout fishing too, when they start pulling that, um, your main fly line under because it's floating line and it's thicker, you get that big ass belly turn. You can actually feel it too, like, the amount of pressure that they're pulling on that line, dragging it through the water. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is going to freaking pop that hook soon because yeah. it's, it's not pulling drag off my reel, but you can just feel the pressure of them pulling that line through the water. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually quite an interesting um, – I did a lot of spinning growing up, like with six-pound line and stuff, and I've done a bit of fly fishing, but yeah. it's actually – you learn quite a bit you think, oh, trout don't fight or they don't pull bugger all, but oh, you fight, do. yeah, you fight them <laughs> when they do when you fight them on five pound, yeah. or six pound, you really learn, yeah, where it goes bad. And, um, and yeah, like you say, you do get that with fly line, eh? Because it's the big yeah. thick line and it's all happening right in front of you in yeah. clean water. You can sometimes, there's the big bow and like the line's leaving your rod going out to yeah. your left and the fish is swimming yeah. to the right and it's peeling line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like I've been spooled, well not spooled, but I've had all my fly line out before and I don't even know how long it is, maybe like 30 odd metres probably, yeah. must be at least. Yeah. Doesn't take them long to whip it off the nah. And because if you've got like only four to six pound tippet on the end, like you can't put that much hurt on them because obviously that's just going to break before anything else, so you're pretty much governed by what you've got on as tippet. Yeah, you just you just got to be so bloody careful, yeah. eh? And there's nothing you can do. Like if you, it's like running, and it's yeah, nah, you can't. If you try and stop it anymore, you're just going to break it off anyway. Yeah, but sometimes you have to because it's just going to go under sticks, depending on where you are. And listening to um, guys that have caught a lot of male and talk about it at length, like talking to Sweens about catching male and, and listening to Sweens and Bonds talk about it and stuff like that, and light gauge. It sounds very, and when you they get three hundred meters of line out, it seems like a very similar uh, like parameters of like you've just got this big fish on that if you're locked up on it, it's can just going to snap you off like nothing, yeah. and it's probably you know what I mean if you put fighting a hundred and fifty kilo marlin on eighty pound, it's probably quite relative to fighting a five-pound oh, rainbow yeah. on six-pound. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's probably quite... Um, as far as if you scale it up or down, you know, it's just like you've got... You can't lock up on it. You're just at the mercy of whatever the yeah. fish is trying to do, chase it around like, fuck. Yeah, Cause especially if you're in rivers too, you've got current to think about. Like, usually they're down current of you, so mm. you're trying to drag this bloody fish up. doesn't even have to be that big. Yeah. <coughs> boulders and sticks and yeah. crap Current's just adding to it Usually you're pulling their mouth open So they're just acting like a big cup Yeah Just pulling straight into the yep. current You can have quite small fish And you just can't budge them Because there's too much current Running into them Dude I've just been Buzzing on marlin A eh? Like I've never seen one in real life Yeah You um, can get them quite close to here eh, can you? Yep Yep Just straight out man Yeah um, just like straight in behind Motiti, this side of in, inside of Mir, yeah. So in, inside, in, yeah, yeah, inside of where we were, yeah, yeah. Um, 
oh, you know, um, that rock that we went soft baiting yeah. on the way in, um, yeah, like last year there were reports of Marlin, like the, you know, big, those big car wire workups that were coming past us and that. Yeah. yeah, Marlin smashing them up, like right around that spot. Yeah. Makes sense, though. I mean, like there's bait fish galore there. Like yeah. All over the place, though. Yeah, and you get the you always get the odd freak one in like real bloody close. Yeah. Um, Kariwa, where I used to go in the four thirty, on a flat day, you get them just behind Kariwa, yeah. bloody in 60, 70 meters when they're coming in real close on the bait and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they get them just behind whale as well at home. Yep, yep. Not sure about inside, but yeah, definitely not far outside of whale. That's it. Six, 60, 70, I'd say a 70 metre mark, I think, yeah. seems to be the start of it, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, se- yeah, 70 to 100 metres. But, and again, I'm definitely no expert, but. Yeah, no, yeah I never target them, so I would never. <coughs> um, yeah, out here, yeah, once you get out around Mare, between Astro's obviously closed now, but yeah, just once you get just around Astro, between Astro, Penguin, Mare, that whole line. That's the whole start of it, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, I put this on my story a couple of days ago, but that, um, so this is, I think it's Baja, that's how you say that, Baja Azul Wildlife on Instagram. Um, got a couple of crazy, this is like a couple of the craziest clips of Marlin footage that I've ever seen. Oh, that's, I think this is the one here. I don't think I can play this with sound or it might get pulled off. Yeah, that how it spears it. <laughs> that is so nuts, eh? So for people listening, it's a video. Again, it's Baja Azul Wildlife, spelled B-A-J-A-A-Z-U-L Wildlife on at Baja Azul Wildlife on Instagram. It's a video of like, uh, there's how many marlin are there? Heaps. There's heaps. Um, A big bait ball of quite big bait fish, eh? That looks like. There's a seal there too. Yeah, there's seals. You know, that looks like a, like relative to like a 40, 50 centimetre car wire or something, eh? It's It's like a decent sized little Mackie or something. Um. And this Marlin, is, it looks like he sort of does it on accident, eh? Like he's just trying to... Yeah, I don't know if he's yeah, if that's a purpose thing or not, eh? But mm. He swims he got it. up to this bait school of bait fish and like opens his mouth like he's trying to eat one and he literally stabs it on the end of his bill and he's like swimming around with it stabbed like kebab <laughs> on the end of his bill and just like sort of sit... It looks like he's... Yeah, it looks like he just goes to open his mouth, eh? Just to try and grab But one. when he's cruising like that... And it's stuck on his bill. It's, it's almost like he's trying to back up to it. And he's just gently, sh- you know, he's not like he no. doesn't. Fr- it's like oh, this again. Yeah, you know, he's it's not like freaking it, out. Nah, it's like it happens a yeah. lot. Um, just slowly backs up and lets that fish come off the bill and then into it. Yeah, have I? Oh, I've got this sound turned off. It's cool. It's cool sound on that. Music but anyway, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is. Song. Yeah, um, and I don't want to play it in case it. Um, we get pulled off, but dude, there's a couple. There's a couple of other epic clips on here. I think this might be the same school, but there's a couple of um, 
oh, this shot, watch this, like that. Yeah, see, that's what they usually do, eh? That big swipe of its bill. bill. But (sighs) how much force it takes, like you imagine holding a baseball bat and trying to swipe it through the water, like how much force that, how much force that swipe is? You know what I mean? Like, a little bit different shape, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but even trying to hold that and, and swipe just, it, yeah, with your hands. Yeah, and well, because it's swiping its whole head. Like you imagine how much power is in that fish's head doing that, like a marlin sweeping its bill through the water. Like it's just brutal. I don't know. It's, they just trip me out, man. I can't. They don't even seem real yet. Like se- seeing one in real life. <laughs> In the, I just think um, I get it. Um, I still sort of get it with deer sometimes, but I remember like first starting off hunting deer. Yeah, and they're so hard to find and get. <laughs> and then when you finally see one in the bush, uh, you almost like do a weird double take, and you're <laughs> it's like, like spellbound. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> it's they're just. It's just like what the hell am I looking at? It's a little bit like that with kingies for me still. Oh, it's definitely like that for me. <laughs> when you see a, a big kingy in the water, it's just yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> it, they yeah, just, like I was already getting going to get into the whole stick baiting scene, but then yeah, going out with you and Tim and landing one, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is... Dude. Yeah, I'm definitely into this. It's so <laughs> hectic. And, that's what I, and, and so Marlin, for me, like looking at that, a kingy is trippy when you see one in real life. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Can like you Im- seeing a unicorn, eh? Dude. <laughs> it, it's stuff, honestly, I'm just tripping on them, eh? Especially because, you know, so many people will target them, like on your podcast with Sweens, eh? So many people target them for years and years and years and years and years and nothing. Not <laughs> a thing. And then some dudes will just ask it and go out there like first, second time, whatever, and, and get one, but. I can't wrap my head around like Sween's, I think it was his first one, and he hooked that one on the live end. He's just like, oh, it must be a shark, and he's just like winding up the slack. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and like a uh, like decent size, 120, 150 kilo marlin just comes clean out of the water. Yeah. Like that moment there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens sometimes just when you're soft, but you're like, oh, bloody car, why? And you're just like giving it absolute hurt. And then yeah. you see it come up, like, oh shit, it's a snapper. <laughs> and then you instantly like change the way you're fighting it and stop like really feeding it to it. I do that all the time. So I'm not worried if the car wire gets off, but I want that snapper to come in. It's weird. Yeah. But like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and how the their fins all up and they light up like that. Um, you know how the squid do that whole thing in the spots on their body change shape and expand yeah, and they yeah. sort of change like how octopus change colour. Yeah. Fish sort of do that too. Like um snapper sometimes light up, eh? Their fins have that more They get a bit of blue and stuff in the moon. Yeah. And marlin light right up. Like yeah. they can be cruisy and like not that much colour. And then yeah. apparently when they arc up and come in like they they actually brighten up. Yeah. Um and I don't know if that's all just to do with how the light's hitting them or they actually light up like they've got, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like something in their skin, eh? Um, I always wondered why bronze bronze whalers, 
sharks are called bronze whalers. And because they're sort of, they do have a bit of a bronzy. Yeah. Um, but up at um, Port Charles, there's a big bronzy cruising around there. I, I'm sure it was the same shark and another guy in another boat said, have you seen that big bronzy? And the divers were talking about, there was this big bronzy just living around Lion Rock, just harassing everyone and eating it, you know. There's more than one, but there was one big one there. Yeah. And uh, one day I was just like standing up in the 4.30 just in this big carway work up just casting stick baits and it would just went cruising past like four metres away, about a metre. It was big enough to make me go like, holy <laughs> shit. Like I had like a physical response to it, you yeah. know, like, whoa, that's, <laughs> Jesus. It was a big shark, man. Um. I see. When I first saw it, I was like, "That's a four meter shark," and and a mate laughed to see how bronzies top out at three, but I'm sure I googled it and and like the biggest they do get up around four meters, like the yeah. extreme models, you know. And uh, and as they get as a shark gets like a bit long, like it's half it tanks out like its oh, body. Yeah. Like it was a big ass fish, man. Yeah. And um. We were mucking around, like full amateur, mucking around trying to catch kingies. I caught a couple of small ones, and um, we finally hooked a decent one one day, you know, and, and we were fighting it for like 10 minutes or so, and then a mate started getting it, and he got it up. That this, I had that on the um, my 50-wide TLD, 80-pound, yeah. had my mate in the gimbal and everything, his first decent kingie. And we we're almost high-fiving, like, we got it. The fight's wearing down and got it up, <laughs> and it got up to like, two or three metres below the boat and um, it had just sort of been cruising up and then it's like, whoa, what the, oh, and I looked over the side and it's like, whoa, what's it, what the, it just took like that two or three seconds to realise what the hell was going on. Just sort of saw a bit of colour and a big shape, like what the hell, and um, then it the it sort of rolled on its side and the light hit it right and it was this big ass bronzy man just yeah. jacking his kingy <laughs> and it was lit up, man. Like oh, yeah. real bright orange bronzy, yeah. big like stripe down its side, lit up. Oh, it's yeah. so not the whole fish. Just it seemed it might have been the way the light was hitting it, but yeah. it seemed like you know how a uh, well coeys do the same, dude. It was like yeah, that yeah, coey yeah. lure and coeys. Sometimes you see them and they look just quite drab, yeah, just blue, and then other times you see them. And they've got quite a distinct bright. It was exactly like that Koei lure. Yeah, it had this big bright bronze stripe, like right down the side. Yeah, and it was just. And it, I just saw it on its side. It was just like it must. I don't know. It must have just bit it off and was just like floating away, like cruising. And then a couple of big yanks, and then mate just winds up this kingy head. You know, <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> They've been trying to catch that kingy for like five days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm just buzzing out on Marlin, man. That's why you say that, um, you know, they don't have to gain much length on the sharks and they get so much wider. It's like kingfish. Because I was looking up, um, trying to get like a soft bag or something to chuck on the tacker cat. Yes, I got a decent sort of kingy. I was like, oh, how long am I going to sort of need? And, like, according to this chart, like a one-metre kingy is roughly about 12 to 13 kilos. A 125 is 25 kilos. 
25 centimetres. Yeah, so like... So like 25 centimetres and you're adding like 10 kilos. Yeah, so twi- <laughs> what What was the weight of the first one? So uh, um, one, one metre is about 13, 12.8 yeah. they reckon on this. And a 20, yeah, 125 mil, 125 centimetre is 25 kilos. So... Point two five, like like so, yeah, like twenty five percent longer, yeah. is almost is like fifty percent heavier, almost yeah, something like that. Is that the like gay thing? Yeah, yeah. Because when we pulled that my one up, I was like, oh, it's like a ten kilo, and he's like, oh no, nah, it's like well over fifteen probably, and it was like what sixteen or seventeen or something. Yeah. Because I've only ever caught like a 10 kilo is my biggest on the soft end. I just looked at it like lengthwise and I thought, oh, yeah, that's roughly about that. But, yeah, obviously it doesn't take much more length to get way more weight, nah, way more girth on the moon. Because I've, um, I've pulled, I've caught a, about a five-foot bronzy off the rocks and lip-hooked it and landed it on a 15kg surf caster yeah. and, like, pulled it up on the swell and taken the hook out and throwing it back in. And... Um, you know, you could yeah do that, pull it, pull it up on the swell and like pick it up by the tail and hold it up, you know, and yeah, and that's like five foot, which is what's that in meters like over a meter and a half, but yeah. over, yeah. But then, yeah, even like a, a two meter bronzy is, you know, you damn near pick that up and you know not alive, but yeah. you know, but then a three meter bronzy yeah is a tank, and then a four <laughs> meter one, it's like. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> and that's like those um, massive great whites. That I don't know what's a huge great white. Four meters is basically huge. Yeah, uh, I think a four meter great white is a hell of a lot bigger than a four meter bronzy. Like yeah. they, they, you know, they're way heavier. Yeah. Uh, sleep me, how are you on time? Should we wrap this up? Yeah, probably. Eh? Sweet. Um, leave, the, leave the gun. Oh, I did want to show you. Oh, your gun. Yeah, the, show me the gun. I was trying to I, think. Is there, I actually wanted to just show that whole thing about your Definitely, scope. man. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and yeah, actually, I want a proper look at your gun because um, I had a half look at it and then I was like, oh, no, show me in the podcast. Hmm. Oh, yeah, so you got to. I just didn't want to be keeping you if you need to gap it. No, you're right for a little bit longer. Um, so this is I'm holding a Tika T3X yeah. 308, uh, and this is one that Dean Maisie has modified, and he's put a one and eight, one and seven, one and seven, yeah. And man, this this silencer, oh, it's in two pieces. Yeah, yeah, you can break it in the that's middle. That's cool. Yep. So you can open up and clean it. Yeah, yep, that's cool. And how do you? How does it? Are you stoked with how quiet it is? Like it oh, su- yeah. suppresses real well. Yeah, even with those one fifty five grainers doing yeah like two six ish or whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, that one there that I was saying that I shot and I thought it was the exit wound, but it was actually the entry wound. The brother in law was like, oh. Did you use the subsonic on that? And I was like, no. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's loud, but it's still um, it's still pretty good. Pretty freaking quiet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he's changed the look and the design of them. Like yeah, his old ones just, just have those end caps that stuck up there. And oh yeah, yeah. This is very different to 
Um, it's just got a one piece, I think, um, stainless like baffle system inside it. Yeah. Oh, one stainless, and then the yeah, rest. Yeah, it's, it's like a. It's kind of just like a hollow core, hollow casing on the inside. Yeah, you'll see when you unscrew it. It's not actually like sectioned off fully. There's like just this one baffle thing running through the middle that shoots the gases back out the side. Yeah, it's a weird looking thing. I'm pretty sure it's not sectioned right off. Hey, it's just got a central core. Uh, all thing. the baffle stainless. Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, so it's going to last really well. Yeah. See, that's not actually like just cut off eh, with a hole through the middle, like most of them, like your DPT. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is a weird looking setup. Hey, because the DPTs are just like. Yeah, that's real different. Yeah, they're like 20 mil. But then what's in this half? Is that. Uh, that just contain. Oh, I don't know. Is that open and back into it? Is there a baffle? There is a some sort of a baffle setup in there too. No. In the whatever it is, it'll be mean. Yeah, yeah. That's the what model is that? It's slightly more forward. I think it's got three more baffle parts forward of the muzzle than his other ones. Yes, I think it's the blackout model. I think he calls it. So this is his... It's better for the subsonic. And yep. for shorter barrels. And because mine's only a 16-inch barrel, I went with that one. This is sort of his stealth one, like yeah, his yeah, big, yeah. real quiet yeah. beast. Yeah. Dude, his... Like, how tight that thread is yeah, and yeah. how all his machining and everything. Like, yeah. um, and I know, does that... And with the writing like perfectly on the side and shit? Uh, oh, I don't know, you see. I think Might do. My, I think my one did. <laughs> I was like, like everything, Dean's like so particular with his. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it, bang on on the side. Bang on on. <laughs> <laughs> um, like a lot of other suppressors I've got, you know, and all the baffles, sometimes the, ba yeah, seeing that, even the writing, 7.62, 30 counts perfectly on the side. Like, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, most other places like the that writing would be on one yeah, side and yeah. this will be upside down or something. Yeah. But <laughs> Dean's shit's so yeah. smick. There's a thing with being a, a smaller company in that as well. Eh? You've got a little bit of sort of reputation to make for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's just bloody bloody real good gunsmith man. Yeah, he's really particular. And this is the old Burris, eh? Is that so? Can I just turn them? Yeah, there? You just you got to pull that cap out. Oh, yeah, outwards. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, so it locks. Yep, that's cool. So when I yeah, as soon as I chuck a Lehigh in, I just wind it around to eleven, I think. Oh, that's quite nice. Mm. I haven't seen Solid, that. Eh? Yeah, it's nice, and the fact that you can lock it anywhere. Yeah. So that's where it's good for running the highs and the and the subbies. Mm. Yeah, like I say, if I'm on the subbies all day in the bush, I'll just straight around to 11, I think it is, and just pop, pop that cap down and it's, it'll just stay there. There's no worrying about bumping or anything. Yeah. So this is, a, for the listeners, this is a Burris Signature Series HD 3 to 15 by 44. And, um, yeah, because the Leopold turrets are, are nice. They've got, got a button, eh, don't they? Yeah. 
but it only locks in one place. So you well, it only lock at zero. Yeah, yeah. the button pops out at zero and oh, stays yeah. there. But these turrets on the scope, it's locked wherever you've locked it last. Yeah. So I it's don't think it's got a zero stop on it though. I think that's the only downfall. Yeah. Like, so you can wind lower than zero. Yeah. But and it's not really that so. If you, the only time that's an issue is if, if you're really dialing. If you go more than one turn, yeah, 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 unless you sort of get lost, yeah. Um, but yeah, so these turrets, when they're pushed in, they're locked, and then you pop them out like a click. Is the click, and now dial it to wherever I want and lock it there. Which yeah, like you say, because um. Yeah, when I'm using subsonics with my 308 with the Leopold, I'm yeah. just turning it and now my turrets are just sitting there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas this. What are you dialed to from zero? What do you do? You zero at 100 with your high velocity? Yeah. Yeah. Zero at 100 with my hot hand load, yeah. my hot 208 grain ELDMs that I'll use at long range. Yeah. So, what? Do you, how many MOA do you dial for your subs? Uh, and my subs shoot to the side too, not yeah. just up and... Uh, what? You're like 14 and 2 or something, eh? Aren't 8 you? and 2. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see, that's 11, I think I click up with that. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 11 <clears> MOA. That's a 50. That'll be because your 155s will be shooting flatter. Oh, and have you got your subs sighted at 50, 50 metres? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and but my, um, my Bagara... Um, is straight. I've only got a, and actually, I don't know what the hell's going on with that. But yeah. um, at the oh, I do actually because my my mile, which I've only sighted it in for my SST load, my mild high velocity load, the Bagara. Yeah. yeah, and I've just sighted, and then it moved. It moved heaps. Like I don't know. I just went to check it, and it was shooting like right about. Two inches at <coughs> like twenty yards. Oh yeah, shit! That, and that's what I get with Leopolds. Yeah, I want to get a little night force for that too. Yeah, because um, I've talked about this a bit on the podcast. Is like the night force on my rem mag, and I've got night force Picatinny rail all yeah. Loctited on, like macked out, and night force mean night force rings all talked up and. That thing, and I've whacked it too, and I've thought yeah. I've like gone smack with it tied to the side of my pack, and thought, oh man, I just broke my scope, <laughs> and like look at it, couple of marks on it, but nothing's bent, nothing, you know, the glass yeah. is sweet, and then I think, but that's surely knocked it off, but not nah, still, still just bang, bang on. yeah, yeah, um, and it's got to the point where that thing has never moved, that night force setup. Every other setup I've ever had, all my Leopold setups and everything have always moved. Yeah. And I just got to the point, it's too much of a mind fuck. Yeah. And I'm just like, I was just like, oh, I want to go for hunting. You're like, oh, fuck, should I go to the range first? And, and Dude, exactly. And put a shot or two. Like, yeah. That, I think, has moved, whether it's the scope not returning back to exact zero or not. I don't know. Is that sports match rings? Yeah, yep. see, I was going to put some Burris ones on there, um, but Dean reckons those are pretty good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Light rings, eh? Yeah, I it's, had the big XTRs on my 300 and I never had a trouble with those. Yeah. I think rings are as much of it than anything. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, rings and bases, but also the scope. Yeah. Um, I've just got so, I just, yeah, got so much, I've gained so much confidence in that night force setup and the yeah. more I use it, the more confidence I've got and the more I use anything else, the more they move and this happens and that happens. And so I, over time I just lose more and more confidence in everything else and, and yeah. I gain more and more in the night force. So yeah. it's just got to the point where um, I'm going to go night force on everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, anyway, to your yeah. thing the other day. <laughs> this is hilarious, oh, dude. Oh, shit. I was like, can't you see that um, that tire tube? He's like, nah. Apparently, like, because it's got zoom on it, you can't pick it up when you look out through the eyepiece. So Lawrence is talking about how I, um, <clears throat> it's an old colours trick. We'll have to put photos on Instagram of this man so people can go and look at that, yeah. look at it there. Um, and you can hold that up to the camera, but you get an, a piece of tyre tube, uh, uh, like, Bicycle, yeah, put it, hold it in front of that camera. Uh, just go up a touch. Yeah, that's right there. So see that if you're watching this podcast on YouTube or Spotify. That there, you can't see that in the scope. You can see clearly through that scope. And that, I would say, is about 12 millimetres. <laughs> it's crazy, eh? <laughs> I, was just, I just went out to the shed, didn't have any tyre tubes, so I was like, oh, I wonder what I can just stuff in there to see how much I can close that off. And when I stuck that in there, <laughs> looked through and I could see, I was like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. Because of... Cause of <laughs> so like, can, it's just ridiculous. So, to explain for the listeners, um, it's an old, like, colours trick uh, for rainy days... Because um, to stop your scope getting wet. So because it's your front lens you've got to worry about the most because yeah. any moisture that gets on that is magnified. Yeah. So yeah. that's why it screws the picture up so much. Yeah. Any water on the back lens isn't magnified, so it can actually get quite wet and smudge, and you can just sort of wipe it. If it's too wet and you can't see, you can just sort of wipe it with a wet thumb. Yeah, doesn't matter can, if a drop or two or something's on it. Eh? Nah, it's surprising how much the back lens can handle, but yeah. minimal on the front lens. <laughs> completely, just stupid, I eh? just looked at it and laughed. <laughs> completely wipes it out. Um, and that's just like, uh, I don't even know what you call it. I use them on the jet boats for... Um, like your bilge pumps and stuff. So it's like a fitting for a, for tanks and stuff. It's a reducer. Like tanks. Well, it's actually got a hole in the end. So it's oh. like, yeah, so that can usually put them on your um your, bil oh, yeah, on your bilge it. pumps. Yep. And poke that out through the side of your hull or whatever. Yep. Um, it's like a, is it Hans Hanson or Jensen? Yeah, yeah. So that, that nut undo, undoes. Yeah, yeah, so that can and come that, apart, put that through your hole and then just wind yep, that up on the got it. Yeah, punch it up behind it. It's even got the rubber O-rings and whatever on it. So um, for hunting in the rain to keep the water off your front lens, you can um, you can put – it's an old colours trick. You use like a tyre inner tube and you stretch it over the front objective of your scope and have it protruding out, out off the front. Just and like it, a sunshade, really. Just, it's just a big hood, a big stuff. 
a big shade that mm. that keeps the water off your lens, and um, that's why it looked funnier on the scope that I first saw it on because it would have been. Is this a forty-two? So forty-four. Forty-four. I think because my ones are that one that it's on the Bagara is uh, that's a thirty-three. Yeah, I was going to say it's quite small. It's a two to seven by thirty-three. Oh. The first one I saw it on would have been a old mate would have had a um, three to nine by forty. Yeah, and so it come off the end of the forty and like reduced down even more. <laughs> But the whole point of what we're saying here is you can actually block off the front lens of a scope quite a bit and you can't actually even see no. what you're blocking it off on. Well, like 44 mil down to, I would say, 12. 12. That, that is, yep. You can still see through it. So Lawrence has got this crazy <laughs> pipe fitting thing that he's bunged in the end of his scope. <laughs> I'm not going to use it. No, you, no, no, I was just wanted to see how much it would like, Yeah, how much you could could, could close down that field of view. Yeah, because you said straight away, <laughs> eh, like it's crazy that you can't, because I've got this inner tube yeah, off like, the end of my scope that's closing up a bit. But it's not, you know, it might be closing in five mils around each side, yeah, as long as that looks like it might be a bit skew off, but... Yeah, once you've got that lined up, you just can't see it at all. That's crazy. And the guy but that if, actually, if you, I suppose, if you zoomed it more, then it would take away a lot more of that as well. You know, if it was a little bit off, yeah, because that's back on four power. That's on three, oh, yeah. and I can't see it. Yeah, because um, the guy where I originally saw, and he come back into camp with this bit of inner tube hanging off the front of his scope, and I'm like, "What the hell are you up to there, mate?" And he's, he gave me the whole spiel, you know. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, it keeps the rain off my lens, and you can't actually." And I remember him, it was the rubber, and yeah. I was like, doesn't it block your thing? And he's like, nah, you can actually, and he like pushed it in, with, you could go right in like that, and you yeah, still wouldn't yeah. be able to see it. And I was like, what? Um, And he gave me the whole sniper spiel. He was actually an ex-army guy, yeah. and he said, yeah, nah, snipers in the field, when because you imagine you see the glint yeah. off your front lens if you're a sniper like trying to hide in the in the field. Yeah. So they'd cover their whole lens right up and just have this tiny little smaller than that. Yeah. Because imagine... Because they're on probably like 30, 40 times zoom. Yeah. yeah. And it's obviously going to block out a lot of your light, like it would reduce yeah. your evening shooting time and that. But yeah. um, but yeah, it's just a really weird, fun <laughs> fact, day about optics that who you knows can, I might I might use it <laughs> I might cut it down a little bit so it's not so you need to patent that <laughs> start selling if anyone it. sees me in my hunting block and they see that on there they'll think I'm going mad <laughs> just say this is the this is the bloody new <laughs> cutting edge because that'll have oh that should have a thread on the inside eh, for a sunshade so that could probably wind that in a little bit well that and that's one obvious thing you know that like um I actually noticed, actually, while we're on show and tell, where's, oh, I think it's in the truck. Should I go get, I've got a new Night Force in the truck. Oh, yeah. I'd have to go grab it, eh? Yeah. Um, Like, when I got my NXS 5.5 to 22, they come with a real big sunshade in the box, like a screw-on alley one. Yeah, yeah. A big vortex I got one, and you could use those, and they're probably quite a sensible option. yeah. I might had one on my three um, three hundred wisdom just for like the long range stuff. And you're like sitting early in the morning or afternoons watching slips, and quite often that sun is like right there in your vision, so they work quite well. 
just gets that glare off the front of the and that's scope. Probably like a good four inches long, too. Yeah. So it's exactly the same as those silly plastic hoods sticking off the front of cameras. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just designed to stop the light hitting the lens and yeah. creating flares and stuff. Eh? I'll go grab this new scope. It's pretty sick. Yes, yeah, sweet. Um, yeah, the NX8, man. And you've just got that. Yeah. It's a 2 to um, two to 20. Shit, that's a big range, eh? From yeah. so low. That's what the eight, NX8 is. Yeah. Eight times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So eight. are you going to chuck that on the Vagara? Nah. Nah. I'm going to put that on the rim mag. Because oh, yeah. on the rim mag at the moment is a... Um, 5.5 to 22. Yeah. Um, and the 5.5 is a bit high yeah, at the yeah, bottom yeah. end. Yeah. And um, that's my first Magnum, really. And I thought, like, oh, this is rem-, and everyone's like, oh, rem mag's pretty bloody, you know. Yeah. A lot of recoil and that, but it's sweet to shoot. Yeah. Um, Silence, it dulls a lot of that, eh? Yeah, big, big um, suppressor on it. Yeah. And I really like it. Um, and I like it so much that it's like uh, if I, if I'm gonna take the three hundred eight, it's like and now I'm using the mild um, high velocity loads in the three hundred eight, so I'm not even using the subsonics anymore. Yeah. Um, and the top end of the rim mag is so good. Like if I'm hunting somewhere and I'm bush hunting, and then I come out and I see a deer five hundred yards away, it's like. And then if you're going down south, and then because I. Um, it was just a bitch having a scope with the bottom end that's 5.5 it's yeah. too grunty but I love the night force on it and I love the high top end and I love the rim mag so putting this on that yeah. solves a lot of problems Jeez, that's an odd shape on it eh? <laughs> it's quite stumpy it is. it's got a massive front object it is is that a 50 did you say yep oh. yep they're a 50 mil objective they're, they're a brick yeah, I've never actually even held a night force. They're unreal, man. Like the quality of the, and the, I'm not sponsored or anything. If people are like, yeah, so you notice that even with the click on the Taraday, like my Baris, there's still a little bit of play in the in the actual turret cap itself. But yep. this one's just like there's nothing there at all, dude. It just locks. Yeah, and yeah, they're heavier. But the reason they're heavier is because they're built like a brick shithouse. Yeah. And you just can't clearly, because everyone that has lighter scopes, they're not they're not as reliable, you know? <clears throat> yeah. And they've got good glass, awesome reticle, amazing turrets, and you just uh, Yeah. We've talked I've talked about Night Force on the podcast quite a bit. And again, I'm not sponsored by po- Night Force or anything. It's just I'm I'm not spon- I don't have any sponsors for anything at the moment. I just and I, I quite like it that way because then I can say whatever I yeah. want, you know. <laughs> yeah. I can use whatever I want and say whatever I want. Um, I'm just looking. Oh, yep. Here's the specifications. What's the weight on? Because it's quite a brick, eh? Yeah. Um. No, they don't have the shit yet. Actually, is there? Really? Yeah, they are, man. And that's the big. That's probably the biggest consideration for using yeah. one versus a Leopold or a Savorsky. Even Savorsky are lighter. 
But that's the whole thing, man, too, though, is because when you go to a Leopold or a Savorsky, because they're lighter, um, one of the biggest things, and, and one of the, to me, one of the biggest and most obvious fundamental things, inarguable, of like, why do Night Force not move? Yeah. So well, you know. Um, <clears throat> they have higher torque settings on them. You can do them up tighter. Yeah. You just literally, like, literally, when you're bolting the frickin' thing on your rifle, you can go, yeah, and make it tighter because it's the it's a thicker wall of the material and all yeah. of that. Uh, I think that probably has a massive impact. Oh yeah. Um, and just the internals too, like you know, it's make it's pretty obvious, like. Um, and I think Night Force has just gone, like, they've never gone, their scopes have always been heavier. Yeah. And they're obviously just chunkier parts in them, you know? Bigger, bulkier, heavier parts. Yeah, those turrets are so nice, yeah. eh? there's, like, no plan that at all. Nah. And they stop on the mark? Yeah. Yeah, some of them, you notice, they're just kind of just slightly off the side. Yeah. Why is it like is that? Is that one or two? Which <laughs> yeah, side yeah. of that is like, yeah. yeah. Why is that not bang on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just little stuff like that, yeah. man. They've got a great reticle in them. Can you see that? Yeah. Did you have a look through that? Yeah, yeah, I that? don't I went away from my old barrels because they had too much stuff on there. I think it was the XTR. I can't remember exactly what reticle, but just too much shit going on there for my liking. So I went to the that same signature HD as... On the 308, but the 5 to 25, and it had the super fine plex. So, you, you know, it's like a real fine cross here. So there's nothing jumbling it up when you're zooming in. Yeah. Um, that one's a little bit thicker, but, yeah, there's no little marks, marking, whatever, because I don't need that sort of that sort of stuff for bush yeah. hunting. So. These are quite busy. Yeah. Um, that one's not so bad, but... Nah. Um, and I don't I don't use hash marks in that. No. But having said that, I potentially would. Yeah. Um, you just got to know how to read them, eh? Yeah. Um, and but for long range, that floating dot in the middle. Yeah, I've said this on the podcast a lot too. But that. Um, yeah, that floating dot in the middle. My NXS has a floating X, and there's something about instead of having your crosshairs cutting the target up, you know, when you get re and it's looking like when a four, you got a four inch plate at six hundred, yeah, and the crosshair is actually cutting, you know, about covering the whole, yeah. Thing up. Having there's something about not having your crosshairs cutting up the target and actually having a space around it and centering a dot, yeah, on it that I really like. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, man. It's like bloody. I like the Saragossa. I like eighty pound. I like the. I like a night force. I just feel <laughs> confident. Yeah. You know, I'm not second guessing it. And fuck, do do. Should I put a shot through my gun before I go today and make yeah, sure? Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. I feel pretty confident too with how solid that feels. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. It's a tank, and um, the setups are pretty light anyway. The you know takers and stuff. Um, and I'm not I'm I'm not nuts on super light guns either. Yeah, I can't shoot them offhand as well. And you're not putting you're not strapping a camera on that either, filming, are you? So 
Nah, not yet. You know, so I go like, that ticker's a relatively light gun, but then I go and strap a freaking camera on top of it anyway to film. Mm. It just makes it feel that much more heavier again anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, um, and that's probably a big part of why my rem mag's so nice to shoot is because it does have that big NXS on top of it, yeah, which adds a bit of weight to it, you know? Yeah. Like light guns boot like mad, you know, when they get real super light. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I'm going to put that on the rem mag, so straight away I've got bush hunting um, magnification. I've got that bottom end. The 5.5 is pretty high yeah. in the bush, like, yeah, I pretty much. I've usually got mine on three, sometimes four. It's mm. about as high as I'll go. Yeah. yeah, and it's four's okay. Five and a half's not yeah. like it's a real. And four's sort of the top end. Yeah. Um, I shoot a lot of deer in the. And ironically enough, actually, I do shoot a lot of animals in the bush at five or six. But that's seeing them at a distance. Yeah. And yeah. then zooming Having up. Having that time to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so when they're a bit further away and, and you've got to shoot through a bit of crap in that and just making sure you're really getting yeah. that gap. But yeah, generally if they're just jumping up in front of you or something, you're on three power, you've got yeah the whole deer pretty much in the, in the scope, in yeah. the sight picture. And when it's moving around, five yeah. and a half, when stuff's real close, you're sort of up and it's almost filling it's the whole... the whole thing up. Yeah, the whole... And you, it takes you longer to work yeah. out which part it is. You yeah. almost have to like... You're seeing pull. brown. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, it gets a bit confusing. Yeah. Um, I've had my 300 wisdom in the bush, yeah, with the 5 to 25 and so I was back at 5 power um, because I was hunting Samba and, yeah, I had one running off and I pulled up and I was just like, oh... Like, what am I looking at here? I'm looking at brown, but I don't exactly know what what part of the deer it is. So, yeah, it's just bloody hopeless. <laughs> yeah, it's just a big blur yeah. of all the shit going on. And because you zoomed in, the focus is a bit different too. It just feels very messy. Yeah. So straight, as soon as that goes on the rem mag, I've got, I can bush hunt over it really nicely. And um, it, that's a full length barrel. So on a Tika, is that 24, 22? Probably 24 is on the Magnums, eh? Yeah, I think it is. I might yeah. take even just two inches off it, just yeah, just pull it in a little bit. Yeah, I think I had an inch or so off my wisdom because I think that was twenty two eight or something. I think yeah, yeah, and I sold it. Yeah, so I might even just two inches, yeah. just shorten it up a touch. It's not going to take bugger all off your velocity. Nah, day, so um, it's tempting to bring it back to twenty, but and they still go okay like that, but. Um, I'll go two first, and um, the other thing I'm sussing out with it is H495. I'm just going to double check that. You can do reduced loads in the rem mag. Oh. So I'm going to suss out how to do, like, basically what I'm doing with the SS10 to 308 in the rem mag. Yeah. And as soon as I started um, H495... Uh, what is it? H four reduce loads. That's not it. <laughs> four eight nine. What did I say? Four nine five. It's H four eight nine five. Um, it's a Hodgdon powder. Um, and it says here this is on the IMR powder website. Hodgdon powder company has found that H four eight nine five can be loaded to reduce levels. 
The H4895 was chosen because it is the slowest burning propellant that ignites uniformly in reduced charges to create reduced lows. The 60% formula is recommended. Find the H4895 load in the reloading data center for your caliber and bullet. Take the maximum H4895 charge listed and multiply it by 60% or 0.6. So basically you can just use um, 60% of the maximum load. The load may be adjusted up from there to achieve the de- desired velocity and accuracy. So, and, and there's lots of, as soon as I, I just Googled um, 7 mil rem mag reduced loads and it just ev- forums full of people going, yeah, I use H4895 to reduce load for my son or something. And it's, you know, yeah. hard, it's hilarious how mild it is. And so they're probably doing quite similar with the rem mag, what I'm doing with the um, 308, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm shooting a 150 grain at 2.4. In the, in the rem mag, I can probably shoot like 162 grain AMAX, which is actually real high BC too. I can probably get that down to two and a half. Yeah. With the big suppressor, it's going to be like yeah, nice, yeah. quiet, cracky. Yeah. That'll be interesting. It will be. Yeah. And I'm quite excited about that to have. Um, yeah. Basically, without no subs, obviously, but yeah. to have what I'm doing with a 308 most of the time anyway and a more carryable package and now I've got a night force on my main carry instead of a Leopold which again nothing wrong with Leopold yeah, scopes yeah. I'm not don't get me I don't want anyone to get me wrong on that that I hate Leopold scopes I've used them forever it's I've got a Leopold on my main gun now love it it's great but I feel way be, I feel better carrying a night force um have that on there, and then I'm not in that conundrum of, oh, I'm going into, say, I'm going down south, and so I'll, you know, could be long shots, I'll take my rem mag, but then what if I want to go in the bush? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm carrying um, a five a scope with a 5.5 bottom end, and I'm shooting a magnum over my dog, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm pretty pumped on that. And if it comes together right, I might have to look at um, making up a camera bracket for the rim mag. <laughs> <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and then mm. what will you do with the 308? Don't know. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, that's a good point because then... Especially if I put a night force on the Bagara, potentially sell the 308. Just have the Bagara as your like bush gun, pretty much solely. Yep. Put a, I'll probably put a um, two to ten by forty-two night force on it. Yeah. Yeah, and I would comfortable. I would happily shoot out to three, four hundred yards with that. You know, easy. Um. And that'll be dialable, you know, really yeah. nice dialable. Also has a nice ballistic reticle in it. Yeah. Um, absolute brick shithouse. Um, the other thing about um, Night Force on the whole, like, eh, is that really a bush hunting reticle or whatever? But they're illuminated. 
So if it's yeah. dark or you are going to be right up close, fast or whatever, and when you're talking two and two and a half, huge field of view, once you illuminate it, yeah. it's a real fast, it's almost like using a red dot. Yeah, I had those ones. Um, was a Burris one that was illuminated? Constantly leaving it on and it was just going flat anyway. So when you wanted to go and use it, you're like, oh, shit, the bloody battery's flat anyway. And you have to have it pretty much like all the way down. Yeah. Because when it's too bright, it just like blows everything out. It can do, eh? So yeah, when I did use it, I didn't even know if I actually shot anything with it on. It does have a battery in it. Yeah. Oh, does it? Yeah. So that must be light up then. The heck? Yeah, so basically every time I went to use it, it was flat because I'd either turned it on when I was hunting and left it on when I got home. Did it not turn off on its own? No, nah, obviously not that one. No. The yeah. new ones might, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Leopold definitely does. I'd be surprised oh. if this doesn't. Yeah. I'd say this will turn off when it's... St- the Leopolds have a sensor in them. Oh, yeah. So when the gun stops moving, it turns off, and when you pick it back up, it turns back on again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just... Um, yeah, out of it. I thought I... Yeah, well, it's got the turret thing like both sides, eh? It's a buzzy illuminated reticle. I wonder if... Check that out. It's just got a dot at every five MOA. Yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of cool, though. It's not over the top. You know, like... If it's a ballistic reticle like that and the whole reticle lights up. It does get a little bit. I've got that's on full blast. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because it does get a little bit like bleeding through that. Yeah, that's on full blast. If you hit the side button on the parallax on your left hand, yeah, that that rotates through the... And you can't even barely see it on on the bottom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's one thing I'm working on at the moment. Is a basic. It's basically a super pig man, is what people are calling them. Yeah, to turn it off. You know, it's sort of a bush gun, a bush pig. But it's not like it would be if if I think that's what I think Greg's called them that. Like you know how we used to do as bush pig articles. Yeah, Greg Dooley. Yeah. Um, and the bush pig was sort of the 16-inch 308. Yeah, yeah. And then he did the super pig, which was a smaller than a rem mag. It was like a basically a 708 on steroids. I can't remember which um, caliber it was. I'm pretty sure it was a 7 mil. Yeah. Wasn't a 280? Might have been. I can't remember what it was. Um it was this caliber that was like 100 feet per second faster than a 708, and he was like, this is a super pig, you know? <laughs> and um, when I had this idea, I had it my, uh, I sort of thought, man, I wonder... Well, I just thought the remags... I like the remags so much. Yeah. And I like a night force so much, and then Ben brought up the 2 to 20. I was like, man, the, yeah, because the, they do a 4 to 32. I was like... Could almost put one of them on the rim mag and it would make it all around. He was like, they do a two to twenty. I was like, really? Yeah, it's way better. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Um, 20's enough. Yeah. Oh, for sure. 
Um, and these are a bit smaller, I think. I'm pretty sure they are a bit smaller than the 4 to 32. Yeah. Yeah, 32 is a bit out the gate. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think I've looked through anything bigger than like a 25. You often... you must be massive. Yeah, you often won't even use that much, yeah. eh? Yeah, like, and you'll actually like wind up and then at 400 you're like, Where's the where is the deer and like wind back a bit? Oh, there yeah. you know. I found even with mine on twenty five, it would starting to shut light down. The night forces might be a little bit different, but you could definitely notice it pulling the light down, especially in the afternoons. So you yeah. would be to be like full zoom, and you'd have to definitely back it out like three or four powers to actually get a better. Oh yeah, what well, is that on the burris? Yeah, yeah, these are pretty nuts yeah. for that. The light and clarity, man, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's probably the only drawback I've found with the Burris is that they do shut off yep. a fair bit of light once you start hitting that max power. Everything does, for yeah. sure, and these still will a bit. But, yeah, that's a really good point. The other thing is things like Mirage and Shimmer and shit, yeah. like when you ramp everything right up, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. I found the NXS at the sort of ranges that I'll practically shoot at. Um, actually, 22 was enough to comfortably see and shoot plates at 8. Hundred and even oh, at a thousand, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, but it was about right too. You know, it wasn't like, oh, wish I had more. You know, so I think twenty for that practical hunting ranges. Yeah. Eighteen, like I like the, the difference between eighteen to twenty-two. Felt like quite a bit on a day when I'm shooting at six or eight hundred yards, and I shooting with the rem mag, and you know, with the 22 power NSX yeah, and then you jump on the 18 power Leopold it was like oh shit that's quite a bit smaller you know yeah, yeah, yeah. that 4 is quite a jump yeah this is about in the I think about that 20 is 18 to 20 is pretty bang on yeah um mm, be interesting so when are you chucking that on <sighs> yeah ASAP really <laughs> Yeah, it'll just go straight into the same rings. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just sometime when I get... I've got a heap of bloody remag ammo too, so that I don't have to reload or anything. I can just swap it over sometime when I can get out somewhere to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Oh, then I'll reload those... Um, some mild... Oh, yeah. Yeah, try that whole thing. Um. Do a bit of development for that, see how that goes. But yeah, it'll it'll be cool, man. That would be quite a cool main carry. Be really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. And then if I'm going somewhere like Porioras or um, the only problem with that, the Bagara, I love it, <clears throat> but um, it doesn't have my big camera mount on it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I can pull it apart and put it on my pack. Yeah, um, when you're like, oh, I've got to pull my stuff out, it's all wet, and even the gun, I was like, what gun? You know, just to turn your pack, and then when you pull it out, I was like, oh, that's right, that bloody thing pulls, <laughs> yeah. pulls to pieces. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, man. They are a little brick, <laughs> eh? So small. <laughs> yeah. Now they're a cool little gun. Took me a little bit to get used to the hammer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to it now, though. When I saw those deer, I was straight up, and and then like when they were gone, I was like, "Oh yeah, undo," you know, oh, yeah. just automatically. Yeah, I had a couple of 
like when you go to pull and you do the whole, and it does. You know, have you ever had that when you pull the trigger and the safety's on yeah, or something? Oh, yeah. The first time I used, uh, or first time I had a ticker actually, first hunt I went out with because I'm used to just hunting with half cock. Like the old man's that old Winchester, whatever I was telling you about on the last potty, they had a mean half cock on it, like just solid as, but the tickers are absolute shit, yeah. like standard. So I think they actually recommend hunting with safety on anyway, and with the tickers. Yeah. So that was me, safety on, and yeah, me and the brother-in-law went for a hunt, and we just happened to stop, look around, like, oh shit, and this deer just started to like walk off, pulled up, oh yeah, bolts down. Same thing, like trying to yank on. The, oh shit, that's right, bloody safety. Too late, gone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it does take a bit of use getting used to, but those small operational changes, <laughs> eh? Yeah. yeah. I'm going uh, from flicking the bolt down, it was down, so I was like, oh sweet, I'm good to go. No. It shows you how much <laughs> of it's done on instinct. Um, yeah. Another thing that few listeners would be interested in, and on that note, on like half cock safeties and shit. Um, my 308's got a half cock safety on it. I can't remember, remember if my rim mag has or not. Yeah, I don't mine probably will too. It'll have like up and safety on. I've gone right off the main. Eh? Yeah, I don't. I just have it down and safety on. Dude, I um, I there's something about that half. Well, I don't know if it's just ticker safeties in general. Actually, it might be that, but I don't think it is. I think it's something to do with the half cock safety. How they've modified the bolt a little bit. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know, but um, and I, I should actually get that gun checked out. I will. I'll give it to Dean to have a look at. But um, I lost a deer. I saw this deer, and I was sort of in that hole, like had no cameras rolling, and I was like, "Do I? What do I do?" And it was looking at me. I just come over this brow, this hill, and this seeker hind just standing there looking at me. I think I've talked about it on the podcast, but I, I don't know if I've explained the safety thing. But my safety, I went to push it off, and it was like stuck. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, and my brain's, I think my brain did the like second and a half of should I hit record, but I didn't want to lift my hand up while she's looking at me. Yeah. And I didn't have the remote for the GP for the yeah. GoPro yeah. then. So there was a second and a half there, and then the safety jammed and I sort of went like that and then I pushed it real hard and it did a big loud click mm. and then I was like halfway up and she took off uh, but then I think the wind was on my back too so I was but and then I was like what the hell happened with my safety there and then so I put the safety back on and what it is is you know how the safety locks the bolt yeah but if the bolt's lifted up the safety's sticky as shit yeah yeah is that just standard Tika? Like the bolts up to half cock or just like slightly nah, lifted? just slightly lifted. No. Yeah, like you've bumped it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the bolts go a little, instead of it just being all relaxed Fully and down. pressed half yeah. down, if you just, have, have you got the bolt here? Nah, I left it at home. I was like, oh, Yeah, fair that. enough. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'll, I'll have to double check it. But And then, then so I was like looking at, I had my gun, you know, unloaded, just pointed at the ground and I was like, put the safety on, just lift the bolt handle like a couple of mil, just put a little bit of tension, not holding tension on it, just lift yeah. it up and then hand off it and then try to push the safety forward and it was all crunchy and sticky. Oh, yeah. 
and then but, but then you just gently push the bolt down and the safety just clicks off nicely. Yeah. Mm. You do notice it with those safeties though, Ali. You can't just rush and go, oh, shit, there's something, and like go to push it because it'll just flick and like... Yeah. That deer's like looking straight at you straight away. You've always constantly got to think of like just roll your thumb forward. Yeah, roll slowly. it forward. Just, just put... And even when you do that, it still makes a little bit of a noise. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be pretty careful of that because I've done it before. Just like, oh, and just hit it pretty much. And yeah. Wakes them up and they're gone. It's quite a biggie, eh? I um, I actually like looked into getting this other sort of rifle a while ago. And um, when I got my hands on it, the safety was horrific. Yeah, some of them are pretty bad. Man, it was like that was just a complete deal breaker for me. Yeah. And, and that and there was three or four other things with the bloody thing too. Actually, the bolt was all malfunctioning from brand new and I just said I'll flag this thanks <laughs> sent it back brand new you know without using it yeah um, but yeah the safety was just you couldn't there's no way of because I know what you mean about this Tika but it's quite a good setup to hold your thumb on top and like you say just, you can sort of control yeah, yeah. it it's got like a definite like rocking point eh? like once it gets past that point it'll just wants to go yeah. yeah yeah and that's exactly what happened with that deer man and I like Went to push it off, and then it was stuck, and then I just sort of panicked and put give it a good push, and it, yeah, I went click, <laughs> and she was already like she was must be walking, I think, yeah, she was just walk, and then I just come over, and she's we saw each other exactly the same time, and she just stopped like mid stride, she was sort of like that, and you know when they're <laughs> almost like twitching like that, yeah. they're about to, yeah. And then this weird noise I've never heard in their life happens. Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> I'm up there just spazzing out with my. The, Thinking about my GoPro and battling with my safety, and I find that even with a suppressor, eh, I need to put a, like a neoprene cover on it. I think mm. even just rubbing that past the ferns and stuff, eh, it just makes this horrendous, like tinny freaking noise. I've been using a chest rig, it, which I have all my cameras in it. It's oh. actually, I love it. Yeah, like For the that, Dino Defender thing, like that. That's a, um. Freaking, dude, I love it. It's like yeah. my man bag, eh? Oh, I yeah. take it everywhere with me, fishing yeah. and everything. And all my camera gear fits in it perfectly. My two yeah. GoPros, my RX100, all my batteries and a bit of other bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it gets that all out of my pack so I don't have to stop, take the pack yeah, off, get a, a thing out. Pain in the ass, eh? um, I've got pretty much most of my shit in that thing. Oh, yep. Sweet. And then, yeah. But that's in the pack. Yeah. Lately I've just been actually chucking like four or five GoPro batteries in one of my short pockets with a zip. Yeah. So I'll just have that there and then the, when they go flat I just chuck the other ones into an, another pocket and then I'm not having to reach into the bag to bloody grab them. Yeah, I'll often do that, have a couple in, a, or in my belt pouch, but I'll often put them in my hip pocket or a chest pocket when it's real cold to warm them up. Yeah, yeah. Keep good. them real dry. Yeah. But um, I, <laughs> I was ninjuring along. And um, there was a plastic, I think it might have even just been on the zip, on the, you know, the the actual, <laughs> the heavy part of the zip that slides up and down. Yeah. And um, I knocked the bloody, my stock against that, and Jesus, was it loud. Yeah. Mine's usually the, on the backpack, the strap at the top. Yeah. Those buckles. Yeah. yeah it was like that. And it sort of, I think it clipped off the little cheek piece, so it was like a double. <laughs> it was like, when you're like... When there's no wind or anything around and that happens, you're like, oh, man. 
It was just pretty loud. It was dead silent. Yeah. We were just ninjuring along. And Mika was actually going super sneaky. I think there were pigs around. Yeah. And the whole way along this track, she was just in front, like, tiptoeing, like, looking back. <laughs> Everything had been so quiet. It was just like, ba-bang. Clank, clank. <laughs> I'm coming. Yeah. Ready or not. Don't worry about me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I reckon just quickly on that... Um, that remote. As soon as you mentioned that, it happened to be my birthday like a week or so later, so the wife <laughs> got me one. Yeah. So I was like, oh, mean. How do you use yours? Because there's a couple of different ways you can use them, eh? You can, like, you sync them together, and then you can either just click that on and off, or you can actually just use it by that button. I've found I just have that on the head and just click it on and off with that. And just basically use that screen to let you know what's when it's on and when it's off. Yep. Because I've found when you do it with this, that screen stays going, I think. And it chews the shit out of the batteries. Oh, so that's yep. still actually all up and running. Can you not? Because I've got the GoPro 10, so some oh, of the might functionality be might yeah, be different. Yeah, yeah. But can you not? Uh, I can pa- I can turn my GoPro off with the remote. Oh, maybe it can. Yeah, I haven't actually really looked and into you, it. Yeah, pass the remote. But and the other good thing about it is that uh, that mode button on the side. Yep. So when you're filming and something happens, you can push that and it'll put a little. Um, like oh, that sort of marks little, it. Yeah, a little. Yep. So when you're going back through the footage, you can see exactly when that was. Because if you've got like a half hour clip and you're like, oh, when did I spook that deer? Yeah. Got to try and like slowly go through it to try and find when you pull the rifle up or you. Yeah. You know, so that, I found that's pretty mean. That's gold. Yeah. Um, with the GoPro 10 anyway, I'd say it'll be the same with that. Yeah, I haven't really. Basically, okay, I turn, got it that night. I just turn synced that, it. Turn that on. And that was about it. Um, to turn the camera off and on with the 10, you hold mode down. Hold it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll turn this on. It could be the same. Soon find out. Dude, but even what you're saying oh, is I'll a biggie. Just, I'll need to sync it, eh? Yeah, swipe down, connections. Yeah, that's just connected there, I think. Is it? Oh, no. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Is that connected it's now? Connect, oh, it's connected on mine. Okay. So it just started recording. Yep. So they had to record, so I'll so hit stop. Hit, yeah. Yep. See, I'll, so then it's just, when you do that, yeah. it's just still sitting there live. I'll try this. Yeah. Yeah, it's powering off. Yeah, so that's yeah. off. Yeah. And now... So then you've got to click that once and then twice. Eh? Yeah, so now when I hit record... Or does it power it straight up? Yeah, uh, it doesn't start rolling on mine. It turns on the yeah, first time. Yeah, it turns time. it on, eh? And then the second time it records. Yeah, but I think I did it some other way. Yeah, so you've only pushed it once, eh? Yeah. And it's just it's it's live just and on. Up. Yeah. Yeah, so now when I press rec- when I press recording, now it'll start recording. Yeah. But. See, so all I do is I just have have them connected, and then I just push that one. Yeah, you can do that too. Yep. Yeah. So then I'm not 
I'm just using that as a screen so I don't yeah. have to pull this bloody thing off my head and to I, if it's recording. I ended up doing that quite a bit too, and it just depends where my hands are. Because the other thing is, um, actually, I just want to try one more thing. I'll stop it recording. Just turn that off with the side button. Yeah. The other thing that I liked about it too, man, was um, I just want to see if if now they're connected or... Yeah, it's fully off now. Yeah, okay. So now, what now? Because we connected them, and now you've turned it off. It because now let me just try this. Because I think this is what happened. It's gonna turning on, and I think it'll start recording straight away. Like when you press the button there. Oh yeah, if I push that. No, no. Oh, because I just pressed that, and it's just turned on, right? Yeah, just turned on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. Now, yeah. Well, now it's so you can turn it off on the camera, or once they're connected, you can turn the camera off at the camera too, mm, and yeah. just hit that. Yeah. I just thought one time in the bush, I thought it only hit that once. See, that's what I was hoping would happen. Like, so this could just be off. Yeah. I'll push that red button, and it's the same as pushing that, but it's not. Eh? Nah. Yeah. So that's why I just reach up and push that because mm. I can just look at that. Or I've usually got it on the stock. Yeah. I'll just be, oh, it's not recording. Bang, reach up. Yeah. Because, yeah, I found I'd be looking down and I'm like, shit, that bloody battery's nearly flat already. Yeah, nah, it does eat them. Because it's connecting, eh, I suppose. Oh, even when it's off, you mean? Nah, so when I was using it as that was on and I was using that to just, that red button just to start and stop it. So when you stopped it, that screen, it was still just on like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll eat yeah. the battery. So, yeah. 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 So now that's how I started just having it like that fully off. I can look at the screen, see that it's off, and then I just push that top on, which just starts a recording instantly. Yeah. And, and the thing that surprised me was how long the bloody battery remote lasts for. Yeah, I was going to... how. Have you had the charge? It's Ages, yeah. I've oh. used it for like half a day once and it was still on 97% battery. Oh, yeah, I've used this two hunts now. Yeah, I didn't even know how to check it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so moral of the story is the batteries on them last for bloody ages. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's only lighting up a little screen and it's not doing a hell of a lot really, is it? So. Yeah. I'm really excited about them for duck shooting because I have a camera behind me, like far back so it sees wide shot of yeah, me and the dog me. and all of that um, and I was just leaving them rolling and then every yep. hour basically get up put a new battery and start hit record again so I've yeah, got like yeah. freaking seven hours of <laughs> so now I can just have a remote yeah yeah and and ducks are you get the odd one that surprises you and dives in on you but pretty generally it's like you lay there for 20 or oh, here comes one yeah hit record Definitely got time up your sleeve, eh, with the old duck shooting. Generally, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's been mean, because I think that the hunt I went on before I got there, before you mentioned about it, honestly, I took my dad for a hunt, had it on my head. I was like, oh, am I recording? Pulled off, had a look. No, it's off. Took like 10 steps, and I was like, <laughs> did I push What's record? Because it? <laughs> it was, I pulled it down, had a look. No, it's still off. Okay, so I'll put it back on my head. Another, like, 10 metres. Did I push What's the bloody <laughs> button? Like, 
Honestly, I did that like six times. I was like, this is just a joke, man. Dude, oh. And when you said, oh, you can get remotes, I was like, oh, you're kidding me. So I, I couldn't <laughs> believe when I found out about them that they've been around for like two years. <laughs> I was like, and what? It tells you. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so simple. Dude, I yeah. My mate Josh, because he's like cruisy airs, not Josh Lang, Josh Willison. Yeah. And I know like I could, you know, some people would be like, dude, yes, it's on. He, he's just like super chill and like, yeah, you're on, man. Yeah. You know, you're good. And I know he's so, I'll just ask him like every time I think of am I rolling, bro? Yeah. yeah. The amount of times I've asked him, <laughs> I was, like I said, I was going to do that compilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm usually by myself, so that'd be a funny one, just like me carrying like, Looking at yeah. the freaking camera. Well, most of the time it's actually off. But. Do you use a head? Oh, I use the headband. Yeah, so I've usually got that like either just straight on my head or on the hat. Yeah. On the hat is easier because you just pull the peak and yeah, you don't yeah. have to keep stretching it back over your head again. But you use that one that just clips onto the peak, eh? Hey? Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Yeah. I've seen there's other ones that you can get that actually go like up here but further. So it's not like leveraging right on the edge of your yep. hat as well. Yeah. Well, it's a longer clip. No, no, so it's just, it's like the normal mount, but sort of attached to the your forehead part of the hat rather than onto the peak. Is it a hat with the clip yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's an actual like, yeah. GoPro hat. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. yeah. But I was thinking, oh, I could just get one of those mounts and just jimmy it onto a hat somehow. But That's sort of where it needs to be because, yeah, like yeah. This, it does, it man, can it, it pulls down. down. For some reason when I'm fishing, it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. When I'm hunting, yeah, it was starting to piss me off. And it was, I actually ended up ditching the hat um, day before yesterday, bush hunting and going to that because the hat kept, I think because you're walking more and you're moving when you're hunting. Yeah. And it kept bloody moving down. Yeah. Um, I'm always hitting that on freaking branches and shit too when you're trying to push through stuff. Yeah. But oh, what can you do? I don't, I don't think a chest mount would be that great for hunting nah I've kind of yeah you'd be getting everything in the way eh, when you're trying to line up I keep meaning to yeah experiment more with a chest mount when I'm um, fishing yeah be alright for fishing yeah there's pros and cons to both because mm. the, the one on the head um it can feel a little bit high, like you're up here looking down on everything, but it is wider and... <clears throat> There's not so much stuff in the way. Some of them you see with the chest mounts, they always get in your hands and that yeah. right up in the way of it. Yeah, and the other thing about the one on my head is like I can be winding up a fish and then I can be like, oh man, there's heaps of sign on the sounder and I can actually like turn and yeah, show them a shot of the sounder and then and then back to so I'm actually actively yeah. filming this shot with because I can move my head and I can like look down and be like you know see what's happening there yeah. and then up and then oh Josh is hooked up and like turn and show him yeah. and then back to you know so I'm actually actively filming with my head <laughs> yeah yeah it's the same as even when you're hunting too you can get right down to like look at sign on the ground or whatever mm. And if yeah, if a deer's out to your side, you don't not going to necessarily like stand <laughs> like to face it to get your chest camera, but you just turn your head quickly. And yeah, you, yeah. Um, but you definitely get sick of a freaking GoPro on your oh, head yeah. the whole time. And yeah, they look, it looks a little bit silly too. Like yeah. if you have a wider shot and you've got a GoPro on your head, um, 
it's surprising when I have used a chest rig a little bit how much you can actually just grab the chest rig and like just stretch it round and, oh, yeah. and stretch it down and up and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Bloody YouTubing. <laughs> Sleep, man. Let's wrap this up. I yeah, need to yeah. go get a burger. I'm bloody starving. Yeah. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry I screwed the video up again. <laughs> uh, just a little bit better every time. <laughs> Slowly. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you later.